We'd like to thank The Great Courses Plus, Stamps.com, and Harry's for sponsoring our show tonight. Please remember that supporting our sponsors helps support the show, and we really appreciate it. You can also support us at Patreon.com slash Astonishing Legends, should the spirit move you. All right, I think this is the first time we've done this, but we're issuing a warning about tonight's show. You may find elements of it extremely disturbing. There are tales of hardship on animals, and as an animal lover, I can tell you that some of them are hard to relay, but they are a thousand percent pertinent to the story that surrounds Skinwalker Ranch. We'll give you a warning when something is coming up, so you can skip ahead if you'd like. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. In the end, I suspect that this intense concentration of paranormal activity could point us all toward a new understanding of physical reality, something that is already being debated at the highest levels of modern science. Colm Kelleher, The Hunt for the Skinwalker. Join us tonight for part two of our series on the Skinwalker Ranch. All right, so we're back for part two of the Skinwalker series. This one's kind of intense, as is the entire Skinwalker series. <laughs> it's going to get more intenser as, intenser as we get through part two and then three. Yeah, but you know, we had some uh, communication from some listeners last week. Thank you so much, everybody, for contacting us. It turns out a fair amount of people have been to, I guess, sanctuaries where they... <laughs> Interacted yeah. with wolves. Well, at least friendly one. wolves. Yeah, yeah. at least yeah. we had one listener named Francine yes. uh, tweet at us that she did indeed go to a sanctuary and was in an enclosure with five of them. Right. And you could pet them. Now, I, I'd heard of people getting into enclosures and being around them. I did not know, though, that you were allowed to pet them. So she said that uh, some are purebred, some are wolf-dog hybrids. Like our family pet, as I mentioned last yeah. time, he was either half or three-quarters wolf. Yeah. Very gentle. And some of these wolves raised in captivity are so gentle, they take them to primary schools I guess it's kind of therapy wolves. Oh, I was going to say, I thought they were taking classes. They're so gentle that <laughs> yeah, they passed the first grade. They're not going to get into <laughs> high school, but they can take some elementary classes. But my reply tweet was, thanks for the info, essentially, and I would pet a wolf. Yeah. I would not pet a three to four foot tall one that wandered in from the wild. Yeah, I don't with, care. With the, glowing yeah. blue or yellow eyes yeah. that stare into your soul. Yeah, so that's off limits. But if yeah, you take me to a sanctuary where there's ones that have been around humans and in captivity... Sure, I'd pet one. And and speaking to that, wolf attacks on humans are very, very rare, in the United States anyway. And I think a few more in uh, Europe and Asia, but still very rare. They don't usually and go after gray. humans. Yeah, In that movie, which was, <laughs> yeah, uh, stay with the plane. That's where they're looking for you. Don't yeah. go wandering off into the woods with Liam Neeson. All right, so we're coming back to this. I want to talk a little bit about what we talked about last week. And I also think we should go a little bit deeper on the origins of skinwalker mythology across lots of different cultures. We talked last week about the ranch and how it came to be, how Terry and Gwen Sherman, who are referred to actually in the book The Hunt for the Skinwalker as Tom and Ellen Gorman. Gorman, yes. Yeah, those mm -hmm. were pseudonyms. But Terry and Gwen eventually came out that they were the owners of the ranch, so we're okay with sharing their real names. But Terry and Gwen bought for their family a 480-acre ranch in northeastern Utah to make into a working prize Angus cattle ranch 
with a lot of privacy. They wanted to get away from people and have their own little slice of land. And yeah, and, and it's not that far away. I mean, as uh, from other pieces of civilization as no. we may have, because I listened back uh, to part of it and said, like, you know, we're going into town was a long, long ways. Well, it's not they, really that long. It's yet. not that long, but you are out in a secluded kind of area. And it's not like a major metropolis close by anyway. It's not like Salt Lake City is right next door. Right. Vernal is kind of a small little town. Well, and I just had a friend in town a few days ago who came. We went to breakfast together, and he is from the Salt Lake area. Yeah. And he said he used to go to Vernal frequently. And oh, he, okay. he told me over breakfast, it was kind of funny, that yeah. they would rent a cabin, I guess, near the Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. And he even relayed a story to me. And I love this because it's kind of like these, the local color, the story that you, you right. know, people don't know about. And he's, he's younger than I am. So this whole thing would have been playing out at the right time for him to have been a teenager. Yeah. And he was in a cabin with a bunch of friends, and one of his friends sat on him while he was laying down on the ground. His arms were pinned, and the guy's, like, sitting on him going, I'm a skinwalker. I'm a skin-. And he couldn't get up. And he was like, if you don't get off me, I'm going to punch you. And yeah. he was, no, I'm a skinwalker. I'm. Oh, and the guy didn't get off. And then when he got he, up, he, my friend clocked him. He, just, <laughs> he, he punched him. Yeah, but they're still uh, friends. So, well, you know, anyway, nice. I mean, these are Mormon yes. kids from Salt Lake right. who are telling skinwalker stories. You know? <laughs> well, no, just it's part like, of the, the lore. I'm sure every one of you out there listening, no matter where you're from, has some kind of spooky stories. That's just human nature. Where I'm kind of where I'm from, it was devil worshippers. Where are you from, Forrest? In the I would say central to northern Idaho, eastern Washington, western Montana area. The big thing <laughs> was a big area. <laughs> well, there you go. It's General vicinity. down from there. General vicinity. Yeah. It was always devil worshippers. Yeah. And the lore was that they were out there on the roads at night, you'd come around a bend, an unsuspecting corner, and they'd be holding hands, wearing white robes. Ugh. And the, it was always somebody's mom's cousin's hairdresser that, you know, she drove right through them. She was so scared, and then she was frightened that she'd killed some, and they came back, and she brought the sheriff, and there was blood on the road, but no bodies. You know, the thing about the devil worshippers is, I yeah. feel like that's kind of a, a Nancy Grace go-to, like, or whenever something can't be explained. Oh, yeah. The media will be like, oh, it's devil worship. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, not so much uh, now, but there was, yeah. you know, the satanic panic, which the ARC was talking about in their research, which we yeah. can talk about more. In well, no, it had its era. Yeah. And you have to remember it followed what was going on in popular culture. Manson, people were very scared. What are these people doing out in the ranch? And not to freak out, but there is a little bit of that actually going on. Of course, and there is. Here, I'm gonna drop that's going to come up tonight. I'm going to drop a little subject bomb. Don't write us in immediately because we're not going to do it very soon, but Terry yeah. Maury. Okay. Manson 2. I think um, I've mentioned that before. It's a little bit of an obscure one, but according to this journalist, he's still out there. Okay. Of the time, that was a big concern. It was all the rage. You had movies like Run with the Devil. I think yeah. we talked about Peter Fonda and that being chased in their motor home by Satanists. So, no, it was a big thing. But The entire thing- <laughs> nest egg? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's Lost in America, which is also an awesome film, yeah. uh, kind of in the same area. But one thing I wanted to mention, though, if you're listening to this and you're much more on the skeptical side, then you're thinking like, well, these are all stories told by one guy. And who knows if these researchers are real? Who knows who's lying here? Yeah. I wanted to point out it's not. If you listen to the folks around there who've got the stories who live in the area— like Joseph Jr. Hicks, as he's known, yes, retired school teacher, he and his whole class saw a massive UFO once, or he claims to. And 30 students. Yeah, and he says, look, look, ask anybody in the town, and he said, I'll bet half the people in this town here have seen something. There have been mass sightings reported by 
large groups of people. So it's not just the Shermans. It's not just some shadowy researchers as well. You know, we're going to come back to that. We're going to talk about that in a little more detail, the veracity of the stories and the surrounding witnesses. And that's something that we want to touch on. And getting back to the recap, Terry and Gwen, they buy this ranch. The week they moved their furniture into the ranch, they had the encounter with the immortal wolf, which we discussed in part one. <laughs> the who, werewolf's walker. Well, He's not yeah, a werewolf. Yeah, no, but there's, gotta, I know a lot of people. No. Lycanthropy. <laughs> so I'm saying that right? Yeah, yeah, that's the whole person believing they can turn into a wolf or stories about them. But it's lycanthropy or if you're the person, it's, you're a lycanthrope. Of course, a lot of similarities. And, and we've got some werewolf fans. Yeah, uh, we've coming. picked up quite a few on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, we are glad to see you. Yes. Uh, Thank you for listening. I wanted to mention quickly, there's a difference between the skinwalker and the werewolf. Here's a basic difference that I found in just my research. The werewolf is generally cursed or bitten by another werewolf. If you believe that, again, this is a very broad European, Eastern European legend and lore. The person generally doesn't go out wanting to be a werewolf. They've been cursed by a witch, they've been cursed by something else, a, uh, or they've been bitten as, you know, American Werewolf in London. We were talking about that, of course, again, because uh, that, that was a great seminal movie of the time. And you get scratched, bitten, you've gotten some kind of an effect, infection. Of course, that goes back to the plague era and all that kind of stuff. The difference is the skinwalker purposefully takes their knowledge of the supernatural and decides that they are going to use it for purposes of evil, either revenge. This is a Darth Vader scenario, essentially. Yeah, you know what, it's a little (laughs) bit funny. There's a a little story coming up that I think we should mention that there is a, I am your father. There is a little bit of uh, that in there. Yeah, thank you. But essentially that's the difference I could see is the skinwalker is somebody who enjoys this, not somebody who dreads the full moon. Right. Like, chain me up, I become a beast. He's a party animal. (laughs) Oh, He's so, look at that. Well, no, oh, very nice. I, I can see the next Bud Light campaign <laughs> springing from that. But there's, of course, lots of cultural differences. But the idea of the skinwalker is not just southwestern United States. Its variations are found all over the world. And we'll get to that a little, a little bit later here. Right. So the point is, anyway, they had this encounter with this one particular one. They shot at it. It didn't seem to, as, as Forrest likes to say, or the mil- they say in the military, I guess sometimes, no effect. <laughs> if you, no effect. Yeah, you shoot at something and it, does, it just keeps coming at you. It, or just, yeah. 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 Retreat and sections, as Peachy Carnahan might say. Yes. So one of the last shots he made when he blew off that chunk of fur and flesh, he did examine it. I don't think we mentioned, though, that he said it smelled like a rotting corpse, like rotting flesh. Yeah. And that brings to mind something that people often report with what they claim were demonic visitations or interactions, that the room that they're in is permeated by a smell of death, of rotting flesh, a rotting corpse, or a bad sulfurous odor. So there's a bad smell that goes with it. So there's a tie in there possibly with demons and other negative underworld entities. Sure. That's one item that made me think of that. The other one has to do with the Navajo legend of the skinwalker, whom they call Yanadlushi, or I've seen it different in different spellings and pronunciations. It also could be Ye'e Naglushi'i. Nice. Shi'i'i. There's two eyes at the end. I don't know if you've stressed the second one. but It uh, sounds right. Yeah, the second one sounds a little more Navajo, I guess. Yeah. Not that we're any kind of uh, experts, but uh, if you speak Navajo. We're not even qualified to be amateurs. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> if you speak Navajo, give us, drop us a line. Tell us how we did. There's a legend of theirs that one characteristic of the Skinwalker is that they can read your mind, and they know your thoughts, and they know a little bit about your history right there on the spot. 
And they can also imitate a relative of yours or a loved one and sound like their voice or a crying infant. So a lot of demon stories we hear uh, about entering your domicile or even a vampire is that they must be invited in. And so if the skinwalker, as we've said, is not invited in, they must draw you out somehow. So what better trick to use than a crying baby out in the woods that you have to go check on? So Now everyone's just going to leave the babies in the woods. (laughs) No, don't do that. But (laughs) the the similarity anyway that I've heard is that a lot of people have reported, if you believe in that kind of thing, you believe their stories, that these encounters, they've seen their relatives being imitated. I mean, like visually, like somebody's, I saw my mom standing there. I can't remember if somebody wrote in, but they, they saw their mom cooking breakfast in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. And uh, said, hello, good morning, didn't turn around and say anything. Goes upstairs, there's mom. Mom, you're down, what, the, the eggs are going to burn. Like, what are you talking about? No, you were just down there. I smelled bacon and eggs being cooked. I saw you cooking it. So what is that about? And also people have seen themselves duplicated. There's a lot of great creepy stories about that. That's right, but I mean, this is, a, this is a classic recurring theme. And the other thing that you said about the, the manipulation and the mind control, that's actually going to come up in, in more stuff here with part two, but yeah. also in part three, not only with your interaction that they have with these glowing balls of light, and yes, I have right. to say the word orb. But <laughs> There's also, nothing wrong with the orbs. But also yeah. in terms of, in part three, you'll hear about some things where the events that were happening seemed to know what they were going to try to do before they did it. There's a big psychic connection to all of this, but getting back to the Shermans, and we did mention this, they seem to be kind of in a trance because getting back to my tweet response, I see a sauntering giant wolf come up to me. I don't care if it's a small wolf. If it's a smart looking, tiny, handsome fox, I'm going to be a little wary because it's a wild animal. I don't know what they're going to do. There's people being chased by otters and geese on YouTube all the time. Yeah, I've been chased by geese. Yeah, they're, they're ornery and people going up to pet a buffalo with you know Bad what the results. thing is about those geese? You know what they yeah. go for? They go right for the family jewels. Well, that's you've the height. Really, that's the, yeah. That's the, I mean, you got to be able to. That's the next All I, I think the last yeah. time I encountered one, I, I had not had the benefit of my yellow belt. That's right. <laughs> yellow belt. That's going to help. I, I, yeah. yeah, I think I could. Maybe now I can a, outmaneuver a it. Sure. Right. Well, that's also... Stepping in goose poops all along the way. We digress. No, yes, of course. Getting back to the Shermans, though, it's an odd thing to relay to somebody if you're making that up, but also an odd thing to go through if you're telling the truth and are as knowledgeable about the outdoors as they are. Especially Terry Sherman. He's a hunter. We mentioned that before. If you believe the story, if you believe maybe not all of it, even if you believe the part that a a large wolf-like animal came up to them, that in itself is a very strange thing, but there might be some mind control going on. So. But in getting back to what you said earlier, in terms of shape-shifting and shape-shifting lore, that can be found culturally among many other tribes and peoples, right? The Hopi. Oh, yeah. Wait, what else? You had a list of Well, there, there's um, most of it, as far as the, the North America goes, is found in the southwestern United States with tribes like the Hopi, the Yaqui, the Anasazi, the Fremont peoples. But also you find uh, the Mohawk of upstate New York have their own version. Ah. And if you consider the Yaqui of the southwestern United States and northwestern states of Mexico, like Sinaloa, their shapeshifter is called the Morea Kame, which sounds Japanese to me, but it's <laughs> just spelled Moria Kame or Kame, Kame, uh, who is <laughs> language amateurs. Yeah. That skinwalker of theirs is a practitioner of black magic or the witchery way, and they can change into animals or even ghosts, then kill their victims with 
thoughts or the evil eye. The evil local. eye. Yes. No, I that's just the a cat that gave me the evil eye. <laughs> well, <laughs> boy, that is another vein of lore as well. The cat that stares at you. Yeah. But the evil eye. That's again. That's all over the world. But it's also part of the Ute tradition as well. Do not stare at them directly in the eye. Don't look them in the eye. And like with the Navajo tradition, Dude, this goes all the way back to Medusa. Uh, very, very good, man. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's yeah. you don't look at it in the eye because at least with the Navajo and I believe the Ute and maybe the Paiute, they can suck your soul out. Right. Even if they didn't suck the soul out of you, they will scare you so much they can feed off that fear energy, again, going back to the night visitations of the demons. Right. So there's a lot of demonic tie-in here. We don't know if they're directly connected in the underworld phone book here, but what I can say is that if you take it just anthropologically, these stories all have similar veins to them. Did you just say underworld phone book? Yeah, whatever they're... Oh, I love that. <laughs> no, if you're thinking that there's any kind of connection between all these things, and that, again, we're going we're gonna to head towards that road as well, part three, right. the, the big, big connections. Yeah. But for this one, I, these are just things that I notice popping up that say, well, that seems similar. Well, for example, talking about far-flung traditions and legends, the Norse even have their own legends of shape-shifting. Have you heard about that? I haven't, actually. And well, those are a, my people. Well, part of According your According to my ancestry tree, mm-hmm. we came down right through there. Well, then part of your people, anyway, uh, the Norse, have their own legends of shape-shifting and how the legend goes with them. Usually, a group of the champion Viking warriors would don either a wolf or a bear pelt. Okay. But they would wear no chainmail armor or armor of any kind. And as I read at other places, they would probably get hopped up on some mushrooms or other hallucinogenics or drugs of choice at the time and get themselves whipped up into a frenzy. And if they were wearing a bear pelt, the bear being the representative animal of Odin, that would be called a bear sakur or berserker. So that's where the term comes, berserker. So that's where going berserk comes from? That is, yeah. Whoa, they, because they cool. were notorious and some describe them as being impervious to iron or fire. Because they're hopped up on PCP. Because they're... <laughs> well, well not hey, PCP back then, but... Well, uh, uh, I imagine you get a lot of those uh, Nordic herbs together. You can whip up a pretty strong concoction of something that will make you think you're invincible. And like people, that's not too crazy, though. People on PCP regularly punch their way through car windshields right. and go nuts. And it takes five guys, you know, large guys to hold them down. But it reminded me a little about the wolf creature being impervious to, in this case, lead bullets. Yeah. And just wandering off. No effect. Well, that's the legend of the Norse type of bear skinwalker, but they also have a wolf version, a wolf pelt version, which they called Ulfenaur. <laughs> or Ulfenaur. I don't speak old Norse. <laughs> There's a lot of E's and O's and R's in this. <laughs> but it basically means wolf coats. And kind of the same deal here. They would They would don the pelt of the wolf and gain its spirit energy, which would make them victorious in battle. But they would have the ability also to send out their soul in the form of their animal in a practice called hemfarir, or shape journey. Okay. So, yeah, you think like that's, it's not all just Native American. People got their own little versions here all throughout the world. But then if you break it down to the southwestern United States and the Native American peoples, They all have slightly different origin stories. And speaking of that, we had a listener named Manuel write to us that he was reading a book called Book of the Hopi by Frank Waters. And the Hopi legend tells about kind of an origin story of the skinwalker. So I'll relay a little bit to you right here. So, and this is, again, this is Manuel telling us about it from Frank Waters' book, Book of the Hopi. So the story relates to a situation of a young girl getting impregnated by some miraculous force by a powerful-looking man, and that's in quotes. 
So the girl subsequently gives birth to a young boy who is endowed with some sort of hunting prowess. And one day, while hunting rabbits, he is assisted by a powerful-looking man who says, I am your father. Come with me. That's the Darth Vader <laughs> reference we made earlier. Yeah. This man takes the boy on a journey to different kivas, which are ceremonial-shaped pits, usually found in the Pueblo peoples, or in the older versions, they were a large square underground room. But yeah. ceremonial. ceremonial. Yeah, and yes. co- I've actually seen those because I have toured the desert southwest, many of the parts yeah. with my dad when I was a kid. And I went to Chaco Canyon and saw the Anasazi ruins there and Canyon de Chez. And yeah, the kivas right. in the dwellings, which in those cases were round yes. and had a hole in the floor in the middle. Yeah. Which I think they thought was well, the, the, what I, what access I to another world. Yeah, actually yeah. the um, there would be like a, a tiny tunnel that usually oriented north. And that was the connection to the underworld where their ancestors go to after you die, but also where babies come from. So it's kind of a starting point. What's interesting, though, to note here that others, authors, but also uh, Ryan Skidder points out that their connection, their idea that these ancient peoples had, the Fremont peoples and, and the Anasazi, was that there is an origin point and is not celestial. It doesn't mean it's out in outer space somewhere, out, out in the heavens. Think of it as kind of another dimension, as the way they thought about it. It's yeah. connected to the earth. It's close by. It's just another world that you can't normally access or don't see unless you go through these ceremonies. That was the function of the portal in the kiva, which is just a little tunnel. And again, it's a ceremonial. It's representational. Some of them had, the larger ones had a a kind of a small well dug in the floor or different floor things, which which they thought might have been a foot drum used by the dancers. The very early ones were very square. Some are completely underground. Some are flush. The top edge would be flush. It's an architectural feature now in the Southwest. Oh, yeah. My dad has a kiva in his backyard. (laughs) It's made of brick, and when they did their backyard landscaping, really? he made a kiva. Oh, yeah. very nice! It's, but it's, it's got, got flowers in it, mm. and it's got sun chairs on it. Oh, that's well, that's a yeah. nice place I've to. I uh, laid sit out back there myself while my son was playing in the little inflatable pool, and it, nothing happened to me. I did not it's, go into. <laughs> he didn't other go into another dimension. But I'm, I wasn't doing any, you know, kind of special stuff to get there. So. <laughs> Well, that's good. You may not come back. <laughs> it's very ceremonial. So, and to continue here with Manuel telling uh, Frank Waters' story about the Hopi, which is not really Frank Waters. This is this is the Hopi uh, legend. Yes. So, the, and the Hopi yes. peoples, by the way, predate these other. Uh, yeah, there's some of the tribes, right? They, they uh, go their way backs, right? Yeah, some of the earliest ones, though, would be the Fremont peoples, as we've said, and right. the Anasazi, and the, and the Anasazi, and the Hopi are a branch of theirs. Don't quote us on this yeah. because we, ha- we didn't – we're yeah. just kind of uh, improving here. Right. But I do remember that the Anasazi were in front of kind of everybody else except maybe the Fremont peoples you're talking about. But yeah, there was another, another branch. But the word Anasazi in Navajo means enemy ancestor. Right. So very old culture here. But yeah, they, and getting okay, named yeah. way after the fact. They didn't call themselves that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't uh, yeah. They didn't refer to themselves as that. So the man, you know, I am your father, come with me. He takes the boy on a journey to different kivas, these ceremonial chambers, where the boy is presented to many different people. And these people in the kivas begin to demonstrate to the boy how they take different animal skins and turn into those animals. So a very early mentioned in creation folklore here creation myth of right, people the, turning into animals. Are these literal transformations or are these put a pelt on and run around and act <laughs> like a wolf? Well, you don't know. That's what I'm saying is that... We don't know. We weren't there. No, but <laughs> you'd asked about the kivas and their possible function, I guess, as a portal to the other side. Yes. And 
from what I gather, that was probably more ceremonial. Like the little tunnel dug in the kiva, you know, pointing north is a portal to the underworld. Is seems well, more ceremonial. You're talking about a tunnel, but when I was there, it yeah. was a hole in the center of the floor in the middle, down in the ground. Well, how deep did it go? Not very deep. It's okay. pretty unimpressive visually, yeah. but I imagine <laughs> you know if yeah. magic's coming out of it, it's probably super <laughs> it impressive. You don't to have be, to dig it that. It doesn't deep have to be actually. You're deep. not really digging to the Lemuria. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a door. It's a door. It's like, you know, well, that's you draw I'm... the door at Beetlejuice. They draw the door yeah. in a brick wall. And... and it works. In case of emergency, draw a door. Draw a door? I don't know why we keep looking in that stupid book. Yeah. But <laughs> what I'd gathered from the reading, though, was that that might have been actually a footwell for a drum. When I said the dancers would hit that as a foot drum. So I'm not sure if that's yeah, well, the actual thing. Well, that's not thing. what the guides told me. But, you know, granted, this was oh, 19... Yeah, 40 know, years ago. 81. No, not 40. <laughs> or like seven. Early 80s, probably. Yeah, okay. I was being well, told this by park rangers at it, Canyon de Shea. I was, that, the impression was made to me that that... Because I remember as a kid being spooked by it. Because yeah. they were saying, this hole is the door to the other side. Of course, right. they don't know anything because these people were all dead a thousand years before we... You, even, you know, that's true. You are just guessing. guessing. And but, even, even the uh, tribal ancestry... Probably doesn't know for sure. You're talking about a thousand years of the telephone game. Yeah. But they do try and keep their traditions alive as best they can. Right. It's just what I'd read, though, that the orientation of the whole was to the north. And there's a reason for that, ceremonially and spiritually. Yes. I've heard that as well. Yeah. I'm just saying this was a hole in the middle of like a spoke. In a, yeah, yeah. In no, I, I believe that. But if you ask it me. It didn't have a direction other than right. down. Okay, so well, that's a, a circle. Little, right, so that's a little different. But if you yeah. were asking me, though, what's more likely a built object or pathway to another side, yeah. that to me sounds like the Anasazi Road to Nowhere, Yeah, with the, um, which there's a, there's a bunch of. I hadn't uh, actually heard of that until you brought it up to me. And, of course, you know, the first thing that I thought of was uh, the talking heads. <laughs> and then we're on a road. Yeah, we're well, where, where do you think they may have gotten it? Yeah, exactly. He's a, he's a smart dude. So, yeah. yes, this is also ceremonial. But these are found also, representations of them are also found in the petroglyphs in the canyons of the area. And, the, uh, and then petrographs, which are painting on top of rock. The petroglyphs are usually chipped into the rock. But you see a representation of this, and how they kind of guess that is that there are some, in early force perspective, you'll see some characters that look smaller and some that look larger, which mean they're close to you. So that people, these figures, are on a journey along this road, and along the road you see urns. And I think this might be the Buckhorn Draw um, or maybe the Rochester panels, mm -hmm. as we'd mentioned previously. There are urns of food. So you were getting fed. It's a long journey, and this might all be ceremonial. But these roads vanish into kind of nothing. They don't seem to go anywhere, but there's miles and miles of them. Yeah, and some of the roads, I believe, they don't go around obstacles either. They go directly oh, up go. and over them. Yeah. So you have to... There's a climb involved? Yeah. Yeah. They don't do the switchbacks. They do up and over whatever's in the way. It's right. about maintaining your direction and right. path. I mean, well, that's something yeah. I just read yesterday, actually. Okay. And then some, I believe, one at least goes into an actual rectangle that does look like an actual doorway. These doorways were also mentioned by Casey. In a rock, right? Yes. Yeah. Not so a it rack. does not – no, not not a rack. <laughs> but I mean a, in, in rock. a rock. When you say a doorway, yes. it's not like a building. It's not downtown no, there, there's San no, Diego. It's, there's no doorway. It's, it's just, a rock. Yeah. It's a chipped out like a rectangular right. impression. It's a Beetlejuice door. Exactly. And there yeah. was, at one point it looked like there was a carving that's inside that's kind of worn away. Right. And again, it might be just representational or maybe at the one point this thing actually was a portal to another dimension. Who knows? Let's take a break from Skinwalkers, if they're going to let us, for a brief message from one of our sponsors. 
So we have a down week coming up. I'm uh, I'm actually looking forward to that. I don't know. It usually only amounts to like two or three days of free time. But do we? I, I have no idea anymore. You know, I just show up when Scott tells me to. Well, you know what's yeah. nice about it is it's a good chance for it to get like a little bit of a palate cleanser, especially after a really dark series like the Skinwalker set, which is I got to be honest, I it was a little bit freaking me out. In <laughs> yeah, it did, did. Yeah, I, did I need it. a I need something to uh, fill my mind. You know, to take over the yeah. dark stuff. And I, I got to tell you, one of the best places to go for that is thegreatcoursesplus.com. Oh yeah. 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 During a break, I like to just check out something that isn't show-related. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. And also something we know we're not going to have to uh, explain to someone else in a few days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but well, it's, still, yeah. it's still awesome. There's always something compelling to learn about there. We're so lucky to have them as sponsors because we get unlimited access to hundreds of topics like history, science, art, and even photography. And they have a special offer for you guys where you can get access to all of that too, which we're going to tell you about here in a second. You can start on one device watching these video series and then pick it up on another, kind of like a podcast. You yeah. know, you can go from laptop to tablet to mobile phone or even your television. Yeah, it's very cool. It's, it's on-demand viewing, basically. Well, it really is seamless enjoyment. And speaking of enjoyment, I'm going to do a little test here. I've currently just gotten into my latest video course, Heroes and Legends, the Most Influential Characters of Literature. And this one starts off with a lecture on Frodo Baggins, a Reluctant Hero. Ooh. Okay, so now I'm going to quickly name some of the titles of this 24-part series, and I will bet that there is at least one subject in there that's of interest to every one of our listeners. Odysseus, the trickster hero. Trickster being an uh, operative word here. Yes. Uh, Guinevere, Beowulf, Thor, Robin Hood, Don Quixote, Robinson Crusoe, Huckleberry Finn, Sherlock Holmes, Dracula, James Bond, Fairy tale heroines and Harry Potter, to name just a few. And I know that we have got some Potter fans out there. Did you say Robinson Caruso? Is he is he related <laughs> wait, to did, David Caruso? Wait, did, did I? <laughs> did I say is that? It, isn't it Crusoe? Yes, you're right. Cru- okay. I, oh, that series really sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. We want you guys to sign up for the Great Courses Plus today because they're giving you a special offer. Get an entire month of unlimited access to all of their lectures for free. Do not wait. Start your free month today. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Remember, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Man, I cannot wait to check out that lecture series. That sounds really cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get back to Skinwalker. Where were we? So I talked about the Hopi Skinwalker origin myth mentioned by listener Manuel, right? Yes. Okay, well, I think I may have forgotten to say it's connected to their yaya ceremony. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm saying it now. So we, we Isn't can... there, wasn't there a movie? Okay, yeah, what is Divine it? Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Yeah. A classic Southern tale of hilarity set in a sleepy Louisiana parish. Well, I don't think that this is the same thing. No. Are we... Well, I don't know. Neither <laughs> one of us has seen this. No. Anyway, we digress. Well, at least we could say we got our yayas out. <laughs> that's a little that's a little joke for our Stones fans out there. Yes. I did also read that uh, the participants had to give up the ceremony because... For some reason, they were all getting eye infections. Oh. I don't know what that's about. I don't know if that's true, but yeah. So well, I don't think sharing it's- Sharing towels? I, <laughs> I did. Oh. Mask, yeah, yeah, ceremonial mask. That's a very important part, and I think probably still currently practice, probably through dance and ceremonial uh, festivities, but I don't know. Nowadays, it's really all just keeping the traditions alive 
and it's remembering the ans- the way of the ancestors. Okay. They're very cool. I've only seen a video of them. You know, some of the, uh, they're not really for everybody, but these are sacred ceremonies and they bring forth the bounty of the earth, good rains, fertility for all, food, you know, all the things that uh, you need to enjoy a happy yeah, life. Well, the next question is, can that go wrong? Yes. Like opening <laughs> they, the door. They can all go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Always room for that. All right. So let's get back to some of the incidents with the Shermans yes. at Skinwalker Ranch. A few weeks later, we, we, and we already talked about this, we talked about the other wolf that came up to Gwen's car that was bigger than the car. Yeah. And well, you know, they are in different stages of human to animal to hybrid to something in between. And yeah. this was one where it was mostly wolf, as Chad so greatly illustrated for this episode. Yes. But it was freaking huge. (laughs) That alone is frightening. Something of that that monstrous size. Yeah, it is scary. And one thing that's interesting is there was one Ute tribal member who was a police officer, I believe. Yeah. And he had said, oh, no, well, there's a difference between skinwalkers and Sasquatches. And this is out of Kelleher and Knapp's book, Uh Hunt for the Skinwalker. But he said there's a difference. The skinwalkers are only six feet or so tall, and then the Sasquatch yeah. is, is much bigger, and it's two different things. Although Knapp and Kelleher pointed out that there were some people that thought it was all one and the same, and there's some that think it's two different things. And yes. then, you know, And that's going to come up here in a, a minute in my outline. Okay. But uh, there's something interesting about that. But the thing that I always come back to when I think about the Sherman homestead yeah. was that the whole thing is essentially – all the deadbolts that supposedly were in the house. Right. In the hallway could supposedly be locked yeah. off. There was a closet with a deadbolt on the inside. This is according to Kelleher and Knapp. Debated and a little bit by... It is debated, yeah. and it's just like any other thing we've ever covered. Yeah. There are dozens of forums with thousands of postings of people <laughs> yeah. arguing yeah. every which way from Sunday yes. about... Who is lying? Who is telling the truth? Who is a sociopath? Who right. is? It's because people get caught up in this yeah. stuff. And I can remember going all the way back to Amelia Earhart. Yeah, files like, and lapels and cigarettes and oils. Yeah, yeah there's okay. just so many things to yeah. argue about. And the thing that I always love to remember is that nobody who's arguing 99.9% of the time <laughs> has been there yeah. or yeah. seen it. Right. Or personally experienced any part of it. Everyone's just making their judgments, which we're doing, of course, too. We haven't been there either. No. But we do try to dig and read as much as we can. And we are aware that there are people that think that this is a hoax. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. Right. And now, before I forget, I didn't know this is a good place to mention this, but there is somebody, the brother of the former ranch owners. Yes, Garth. He's going to come up. He's going to come up. In great detail. I'm going to lay this one out here now, just because you did mention deadbolts on the cabinets. You know, I did read that he was saying... Well, there, were, there weren't that many deadbolts on the house. That's been exaggerated. There were just some deadbolts inside in the kitchen cabinets. Yeah. And it's like, did say um, that. Uh, why? why would you need? <laughs> why are you got the cabinets Protecting the up? juice glasses? Well, yeah. Why then did you need any? Yeah. So I love that. It's like, well, there weren't that many, but there were a few in some unusual places. Now, if he'd said, there aren't any in the kitchen cabinets, that would be silly because we don't get earthquakes here. I can see that happening in earthquake country. Yeah. Or if if you have to be concerned about a bear or something, but they they wouldn't stop a bear. No, exactly. Yeah. Now, if you said even, though, that there were latches and deadbolts on the insides of the closets, like, okay, kind of a cheap panic room. Yeah. All right, I I can see that. Yeah. So that didn't make sense to me. It was a little little funky. Well, we're going to come back to that. Okay, good. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the things that happened on the ranch, but this is probably a good time to take a look at the known history of the land. As we said before, the land was originally Ute tribal territory. 
And it neighbors a place called Dark Canyon where the Utes came to believe the skinwalkers live. And they've forbidden anyone from going there, including the celebrated Junior Hicks, who was a major contributor to a lot of the local lore. He's a a retired science teacher, but he'd been teaching in the area for, I think, 30-plus years. So he he knew all the locals. He is a local. Yeah. When he saw his sighting with his class of an unidentified flying object, that was in late 50s, early 60s, I think. Yeah, but you know what? I'm I'm not sure that was actually, and we already said this earlier, but I'm not sure that was his class. He said it was a class. Okay. It was students. I'm not sure that was him. I think it was students... Just to be for our fact checking sure, sake, sure. Yeah. I, I think he cites it as one of the earliest cases, oh, and it okay. was a case of a class with thirty students and a teacher who yeah. who did see, I think, a cigar shaped object. Yeah, I do remember that part. The Metallic, cigar shape. yes, which is all I read about when I was a kid. When they first started about talking about UFOs, it was always cigars. Oh well, this actually factors in quite a bit. There's all different shapes. There always has been, but there are eras where one's more popular than the other. Yeah, the, the classic disc, yeah. crescents. Cigars. Now we have refrigerators and black triangles. Yeah. Just different models of the Chevette. You yeah, know? Exactly. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we already talked about skinwalkers and how pervasive they are in lots of different cultures globally. I want to talk a little bit now about Ken and Edith Myers. They had the, the ranch house built. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yes. They had the ranch house built. And originally when they bought it, they only bought, I think, 160 acres. And then they kept buying parcels and adding to it, which is actually typical when you buy ranch land. Yeah, of course. You try to expand it. Yeah. As you make money with the workings of the ranch, you have money to buy, yeah, different lots and parcels. Now, there wasn't a whole lot known about Ken and Edith in in a lot of places. Everybody's just like, oh, the ranch was vacant since the 30s. That's actually not true. We found out a whole lot more about them. I want to tell you about this. I was actually working on this yesterday. I was writing broad daylight on my back porch. (laughs) Beautiful, sunny, sunny, southern California day. Early in the morning, trying to write out our outline. I was digging around on Ancestry.com. And behind me, one of the plants in my yard, like, which has sort of the big blades of, like, purple grass. It's like a grass-type plant, but it's big. It was brushing against this wooden column on the porch <laughs> behind me, and it yeah. sounded a whole lot like someone whispering. Oh, jeez. I, I turned around, and I looked at that plant, yeah. like, and I was just, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, this story has gotten under my skin. Well, it, it's a good thing the voice didn't come from uh, 20 feet above your head. <laughs> you know, 15 minutes after yeah. that, there was a skunk smell. <laughs> and so I'm like, great, they found yeah. me. Well, they <laughs> The skunk walker <laughs> has found you. All you right. know what? Nobody tries to turn into that walker. animal. No. Like, I tried it once and it uh, – no, no. That's, it was horrible. I couldn't stand the, the smell of the pelt. So let's, let's talk about Ken and Edith. Ken okay. Myers and Edith Child got married when he was 23 and she was 21. Mm-hmm. In 1930, they were living in Salt Lake City on a quiet little street known as Argyle Court. Now, that street, the street is still there. Right now, it's right up next to I-15 and the Veterans Memorial Highway. And the home that had their address must not be there anymore because the house number skipped right over 325, which was theirs. And I checked on Google Earth because I really wanted to see. But, you know, a house from the 30s probably wouldn't be there. Eh, But depending, although I live in a house from the 30s. (laughs) Oh, I said that. Yeah, yeah. So Kenneth was a truck driver for what he told the Census Bureau was the steam railroad. And Edith was a school teacher. They're both paid hourly. And their rental cost them $20 per month. By the 1940 census, they were already living on and farming at the ranch, according to later census records. They never had any kids, but Ken had two sisters and a brother, which Forrest was just alluding to earlier. Mm -hmm. In the Skinwalker tale, Ken's brother, 
Dr. Garth Myers, who was a pediatric neurologist who hmm. just passed away in 2011, famously stated in Frank Salisbury's book, The Utah UFO Display, that he spent a lot of time on the ranch as a kid and he never saw anything weird. Now, Dr. Myers did say in Salisbury's book that there weren't all that many locks, except, as Forrest said, the ones on the kitchen cabinets. He also mm-hmm. said that Ken and Edith didn't keep any large guard dogs, which is another thing, that a fact that comes up a lot, because they have these four big metal poles at right. all corners of the house yes. that, where they mm-hmm. said these, you know, people have said that these huge dogs were present for protection. Dr. Myers worked as a teenager on the ranch for three summers, and he described himself as being close to Ken and Edith. I'm not sure when he was interviewed for Salisbury's book, but he outlived both of them, okay. Dr. Myers yeah. did. So my question is, Salisbury, who wrote the Utah UFO display, he came to the conclusion that George Knapp and Colm Kelleher in The Hunt for the Skinwalker had added some details or possibly changed the Sherman's stories. But he also felt upon interviewing the Shermans that something definitely happened at the ranch. It was just hard to know exactly what it was that happened. So, yeah. And this is something I wanted to talk to you about. That thing that we've seen in our research and that everyone knows when, you, when a story is spectacular like this, yeah. details get exaggerated, <laughs> yeah. facts get a little crazy, and especially if people start getting attention that really like getting attention. Yeah. But then you have to wonder about the root of the story. And I think about this when I think about Ronnie and the Delphus Ring. Yeah, yeah. You're telling the story over and over and over. Yeah. He never really sought fame and fortune from it, and neither did a lot of people who've had relatively famous encounters. Right. But they tell the story over and over. After a while, it's hard to keep details straight, and embellishment is just a natural part of the human condition. It's yes. It's just something. Yeah. It's the big fish tale. To a certain extent. I'm not saying that that's what's happening here or necessarily that Kelleher and Knapp did that in their book. No, but, but you have – yeah, you bring up an interesting point because there's a dynamic here. Yeah. And that uh, where, where we're getting this – keep in mind, Terry Sherman hasn't written any books about it. He's just been interviewed over and over and over and over and over again and filed reports, which yep. were taken down by credible scientific methodology kind of sources and uh, authorities. Yes. So there is some of that. And Kelleher was part of that with an organization we're going to talk about later. Yes. George Knapp, you can hear him on Coast to Coast. Actually, when we recorded uh, part one, I was driving home kind of late, and uh, you asked me, like, well, was George Knapp on? And yes, he was. He was. You were listening right to him. We actually reached out to him for an interview early on when we were starting this series and didn't hear back. But it's not surprising. He's very busy and popular man. Well, he's on the air on Coast to Coast. So what I'm saying is that he's somewhat of an authority and taken seriously. But my point is, when you're mentioning that, what popped into my head was – Whose story are you going to believe about Oak Island, Mr. Blankenship's or Mr. Nolan's? Because there's two older guys about what happened when and who's got rights to what. So when you have two competing kind of reporter sources here, you have Salisbury, yeah. you have Kelleher. Ryan Skinner is another great source, yes, too. Yes, he is. And we actually exchange emails with Skinner, and yeah. he, uh, he's been great. We're going to feature just... a little bit more of his stuff, yeah. I think, later on. And then uh, George Knapp. Yeah. They may all shade it a little bit differently, and have different points of view. And they also are coloring it with their own belief system. So it's going to differ between who said what and how how colorful one person's interpretation is. Yeah, and that's actually going to get particularly crazy with the relationship that happens between a large corporate entity and MUFON, which we're going to talk about yeah. in part three. I don't want to give too much away about no, that. No, right but that's now, a but. that is a great point of view because here are two different entities that have different goals, shall we say. And they don't meet up. And then when that happens, 
you have falling outs. Exactly. Yeah. The other possibility is the idea of intentional disinformation. Oh, sure. No, I believe that. Yeah. PSYOPs. <laughs> Psychological operations. Psychological operations. Uh-huh. You, I guess you might know a little bit more about them than I do. I'm doing I, one right now <laughs> on you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the goal of a PSYOP is to lead others to believe something that you want them to believe that isn't necessarily true for it's, your own benefit. Yeah. Okay. In, in simple terms, it's meant to freak out the enemy. Right. During the Vietnam War, that kind of ramped up because it's the CIA and the PSYOPs organizations with the U.S. military – playing on the fears of the indigenous population. Like the things I heard they would do is that they would leave a dead body, put some puncture holes in the neck, make it look like a vampire killed this person. Right. Leave them placed around strategically. The other interesting thing is that when we were talking about that one episode of the X-Files, one of the characters in there explains how the Germans used to project an image of the Virgin Mary over the French trenches to freak them out because that gives them pause. And so the idea is just information pointed towards the enemy that gives them pause before attacking or just, again, basically to freak people out. Well, you know, there is a retired colonel who is wrapped up in this story, and we haven't really talked about him yet. His name is Dr. John B. Alexander. Yes. He's going to come up later as being heavily involved in the scientific investigation that you referenced earlier, which is going to be more of a part three thing. But that's something that happened after the Sherman's sold the ranch. Right. After his retirement, Colonel Alexander was a major player in the development of non-lethal weapons at Los Alamos. This guy yeah. <laughs> lives in Vegas now and apparently is a self-professed thanatologist, which I had to look uh-huh. up. Means that he <laughs> yeah. studies death. Yeah. Right. And, and the afterlife, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's one of the guys who was interviewed thoroughly by the author of The Men Who Stare at Goats. And oh, he's, yeah. he's been a long proponent of the use of paranormal skills to aid the military. He claims that the U.S. first learned of the existence of the Typhoon class of Soviet submarines by paranormal means. Was that using remote viewing? It's I not think? made clear. It's that not made clear. something on his Wikipedia page, which could be total BS. Yeah. Well, second question, was he then kind of loosely played by George Clooney in the movie? Well, that character was an amalgamation yeah. of a lot of people. That's what I thought. But he, yeah. he was a contributing sure. part to that, right. according to all the information that I found. So, this and it was a, a silly take on yeah. the, the whole thing. Yeah, sure. very silly. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this, it's, yes. Supposedly, these guys could stare at goats and cause them to die. Like, you could kill a goat by staring at it. So. Well, I think it was a, a psychic connection to accelerate the heart and kind of give the goat a heart attack. But, well, I'm telling yeah. you, I, I got those stares from people all the time on the subways in New York, <laughs> and I was fine. But this guy's a real deal. He's not some guy living in a trailer wearing a tinfoil hat. Not that there's anything wrong with wearing tinfoil hats. No. <laughs> thank you for your emails. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. But the reason I bring up Colonel Alexander, whose website, by the way, makes him seem like Fox Mulder and Indiana Jones had a baby that was raised by General Patton. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah. That joke. That joke is what my wife, who is an accomplished comedy writer, yeah. would call a long walk. That to, joke was to a, long a walk. Uh, to a small payoff. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, but I get, your, I get your point. This guy is kind of a, he's a larger than life character in a lot of ways. Well, we have this video of him. And thank you, Tess, our head researcher mm-hmm. at the Astonishing Research Corps for digging this up. It's pretty amazing. It's him talking about Skinwalker. And he's discussing one of the more fascinating events that took place there. It was an interview done by Alejandro Rojas with OpenMinds.tv. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have a link to it in our show notes. But in this interview, he mentions how when people look at the story, all of the events are compressed and it makes them seem like this hotbed of constant activity. But the reality is mostly nothing was happening. 
Yeah. It was just that when something did happen, it was so insanely bizarre, it stuck with you as it does with anyone who learns about it. So by that logic, it's pretty easy to wonder a couple of things about what Dr. Myers, Garth, Ken's brother, the original owners of the ranch, said about the farm. Things didn't happen that often. I wonder, too, if there was a lot going on, would Ken and Edith have told their family about it? I mean, it, yeah, that's are you, they crazy? They might have been people might have thought they were crazy. Were they imagining it? Yeah, you found a little bit of that, of that behavior with Terry Sherman. These are we say salt of the earth kind of folks. They it, like much like Ronnie Johnson is yeah, that you're more Delphos guy. Yeah, the, our Delphos, our subject of the Delphos uh, ring. Yes, yeah. I believe that he saw something. Do I believe? That downstream, yeah. in the retelling of the stories and all that this stuff that you said, that things got exaggerated or other details were brought into it that were unrelated? Right. Possibly. Yeah. Does that mean the original event didn't happen? Yeah. No. Does one freaky, super crazy event still warrant an investigation if you're capable of it? Yes, in my opinion. Sure. I do think that sometimes people that are exposed to these stories – they think, I have got to know more about this, and they will do or say whatever they can to get more attention brought to it, not because they want fame and fortune, but because they want to know what the original thing was, even if the follow-ups might be exaggerated. Right. That, this right. is a theory that came to me yeah. in broad daylight on the porch yesterday when I thought my plant was attacking me. <laughs> you were visited by the skunk walker. Yeah. 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 It's a valid point. Going back to your, the original statement here, would Ken and Edith want their nephew to know about it. Are they going to say, look, I've been not told things by my own parents because yeah. they're like, well, he's a little young. We'll wait till he's older. And so, yeah, there's things that, you know, that's what people do. They they keep you from freaky things happening. And again, it may be something where you, one person in the family sees it, they all rush out, it's gone. And they think, well, maybe he was just seeing something. You know, it's so hard to give yourself up to these kinds of experiences that people just ignore them. They don't talk about them because, yeah, you get met with ridicule. Yeah. As all these folks have. Right, exactly. Yeah. You end up just not, it's easier just not to say anything or tone it down. Or again, if Garth Myers, Dr. Garth Myers uh, says he never saw anything, that's not to say that something did go on. It's also not to say that something did not go on. He just personally can't vouch for seeing anything. Getting back to Colonel Alexander, though, could he be the primary actor in a disinformation campaign whose goal we can only guess at. And I, I know this is full-blown conspiracy theory <laughs> yeah. right here, but yeah. but these things happen. I mean, is he preparing the citizens of our country for a revelation of contact? Or is he just trying to put countries that might seek to take advantage of us off balance by keeping them guessing at what sort of technology we may have up our sleeves? Yeah, could it be both? It could be both. I mean, it's, it's yeah. entirely plausible to me. The skeptical part of me says that uh, yeah, sure. Of course, there's tons of life in the universe, even in our own galaxy. And sure, there's UFOs and aliens. But even with some of the most advanced technology, I get that I'm saying this about under human constraints. <laughs> right. It might be impossible for them to get here. Yeah. I can say that. But what that means is that all things like Skinwalker Ranch, or in, with, certainly with respect to the UFOs and the possibility of otherworldly creatures, because they have a really mundane explanation. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm saying aliens and UFOs don't exist. It just means that I don't necessarily think they can get here by the known laws of physics. As we know them now as humans. Yes, and that was point. used to be one of my pet peeves when right. scientists would say, there's no way life could exist there as we know it. That as we know it, that's a big asterisk. <laughs> You know, but hey, most of the universe is made of stuff that they have no idea what it is. Yeah. Okay. You know, dark matter. So as we can conceive of it now, 
I think it's a lot of it's human hubris where it's like, well, we got a good idea in most of it. And it's like, well, you don't know what you don't know to yeah. off that off quote kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. You, when you're saying There are known knowns, we always go to Rumsfeld, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yes. There's things we know, things that we don't know that we know that we know. That we know but, and then the one aspect of it is like, yeah, that's kind of, maybe it's trite and silly, but you don't know what you don't know. That way it, it can't be a factor. So. Yeah. We touch upon the Fermi paradox before. So, you know, if you want more on that, go listen to that episode. But just briefly here, that's what brought up the question. I always think that there's two parts of this that are kind of funny. Enrico Fermi, his question basically was, where are they? Meaning, where are all the aliens? Right. And, he, you know, he's walking to lunch with some other, the top minds in nuclear science here yeah. at the Los Alamos Laboratory. And so he's like, well, the subject came up that there was a lot of reports of UFO sightings. And, you know, they were joking around. There was a cartoon about uh, aliens possibly stealing the trash cans off the, <laughs> the government base there. You're sidestepping the question. It's like this question came up in the first place because people are seeing strange things. And if it's not the government, then who is it? So and then you're applying our own technology as, you know, as we knew it then and do now to like, well, if it took them this long, like, you know, using rocket propulsion and essentially still using fire, which now seems kind of quaint, looking yeah. at all these flying machines we have buzzing about, that it would take them this long. And if they lived on the ship, like the Battlestar Galactica, blah, 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 you know, it, it, and just like the length, the age of the galaxy, what if one, they're already here, then the, the question is kind of moot. And then, too, how do they get here? Well, if they've always been here. Exactly. There's a lot of things that you... Do you know what I'm reading to my son right now at night? Which uh, I forgot how much I loved it. Communion? A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, (laughs) yeah. A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, is there a children's version? No. Or is that just to hear him uh, talk and and he goes to sleep? Well, no, you know what's interesting. Or how to hear you talk and he goes to sleep. I'll never forget when I read that book as a kid, when he talks about the Tesseract and folding space and time to get from one place to the next which they sort of cover in Interstellar as well. Right. But right. it's it's a fascinating idea, and I don't believe that it's impossible. Sure. But I guess my overall point from earlier is just that if I say they can't possibly be here, yeah. it can be for a reason besides the fact that I don't believe they exist. You know what would be cool? What? If you could buy a piece of land like Skinwalker Ranch with a portal on it, (laughs) right? And you could just throw Uh packages through and they would just pop out in the right place, like in that game, Portal. Well, it sure would save us a ton of time with the store shipments. Well, you know, even with Portal at our disposal, I'd probably just keep shipping stuff the way we always have. Because the truth is, you kind of get stuck, and me too, doing things the old way, just out of habit. And including critical stuff like mailing and shipping, even when what you're doing takes forever. Well, why be stuck doing things the old way when you can have a portal right outside? Because it's guarded by a skinwalker? <laughs> well, yeah, right. <laughs> but the truth is, Stamps.com is the same kind of time saver. If you're still making trips to the post office, you can stop because with Stamps.com, you can do all of your mailing and shipping right from your desk and never go to the post office again. With Stamps.com, print postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer, then hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's convenient and easy to use, and it will save you money because you get special discounts that you can't even get at the post office. In fact, I've been using it now for several weeks for our stuff, and it's already saved us a fortune in both time and money, which is great. It has made things a lot easier for us, and it can for you too. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code LEGENDS for this special offer, a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. 
Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in legends. That's stamps.com. Enter legends. So getting back to Ken and Edith, the original owners of the ranch. Right. right? You know, a lot of people had said that the ranch was vacant from the 30s until the Shermans bought it. But actually, Ken was born in 1904, and he lived to 83, dying in 1987, presumably at the ranch or close by. Edith lived all the way up to 1994, and she passed away at 88. Did she pass away there too? That's what I think. I don't know. It's not clear where, you know, because so they're the cause. Older, they could have been in hospice care <laughs> well, or something. Well, I hope they're not the ones haunting it. It's a good point. Uh, and by the way, she also lived there by herself oh, for yeah. several years after her husband died. People say like, well, if it was that crazy and all that stuff going on there, why didn't she move out? Well, we heard this time and time again. It's the Eddie Murphy joke. Ghost, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> It's like yeah. why people, you know, you get rooted in a place and you'll put up with a certain amount of bunkum and hokum. And, and, uh, well, and that's true. And the yeah. other thing about these events were that they did seem to be focused on particular people. That is true. I think we should make it clear that when something is targeting someone yeah. that or targeting a particular kind of person and there's a dearth of events for a certain amount of time, we're talking about things that don't necessarily care about time. So just because nothing yeah. happens for 20 or 30 yeah. years and then a bunch of stuff happens. Yeah. And then it might not happen again for 50 years because you don't know what time is like for that thing on the other side. Right. Time is just a perspective for us here on Earth. And it's like that old saying, time is what keeps everything from happening at once. Yeah. Yeah, on the I other side. I feel like side, Einstein yeah. used to say, or used to say, yeah. like I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Back when we were at the Starbucks. No, um, <laughs> I had read one of those books, you know, there's a group that releases books for uneducated people <laughs> to understand yeah. complex scientific concepts yes. like every year. Like and I had one about... Uh, quantum physics for dummies. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like that. And I, yeah. But I remember that he had his theory that everything is happening at once. Well, and geez, that time it's, it's is uh, what allows us to process it or something. Like I think that. we'd mentioned this before. That's kind of a Buddhist concept. There is no past, there is no future, there is only now. So you got to really think about that one. What does that mean? It's all one continuous now. Yeah. It's all happening at now. We're not going to get into it right at this point. This might be a part three thing. But then you start getting into going to get a uh, foreshadow here where we're going. We're not you, drinking you've... tonight, if you can believe that. <laughs> no, sometimes well, we're my, having my, a drink. It's a little rambling. No, there's nothing. <laughs> no, I just always yeah. think about like that sort of when you're at a campfire, you've had a few drinks, everybody's about to go to bed. It you seems like those deep. are discussions we're always having. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's real. <laughs> I've just had a ginger beer, which is non alcoholic. Yes. <laughs> you get into the big questions of like the multiverse. And supersymmetry, and is everything happening all at once? Every possible conceivable outcome, a version of you that is infinite, making infinite choices. Chew on that one in the back of your head while you, we progress. Do you know how you get into the multiverse? Buy a ticket online. No, nope. that no multiplass. Oh, that, <laughs> very nice. <laughs> very oh, nice. Crack, well, that was that was. Yeah, you do. <laughs> anyway, wrapping up, Ken and Edith. Yeah. The property wasn't really vacant. It was actually purchased pretty much almost as soon as. Uh, Edith passed away. And True. Yeah. It's a good piece of land. There's yeah. a reservoir nearby. I mean, it's spectacular somewhat to look at, but it is that kind of uh, dry, deserty, kind of um, bluffy uh, well, land. But it's good ranching land. And that reservoir is not without its own stories, oh, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you should bring that up. Hmm. We alluded to this in part one, in the land and the surrounding areas around the ranch. The ranch is, it's not like, oh, it's inside the ranch, so I'm going to be weird. Weird yeah. stuff is happening all around. <laughs> True. It's not There's like no boundaries the, yeah. on the, of weird. Yeah. <laughs> on the other side of the fence, everything's fine. Yeah. We're talking about the Utes. We're talking about Dark Canyon, which I can't even figure out where that is. And then, mm. and then there's yeah. the Bottle Hollow 
reservoir. Right, right. All considered, though, uh, generally the path of the skinwalker by uh, the Native American tribes there. Yeah, that's true. Especially, yeah. Bottle Hollow Reservoir is actually... It's north of the the whole property. Okay. Yeah, if you take a look at that map, we probably spoke about it too soon in in part one, but I I studied the map fairly well because it's part of our posting uh, for the episode on our website. Right. The actual ranch house and the and the whole scheme of the property is kind of northeastish, I guess. That's the one the one main road. Yeah. There's different entrances, but that's the one main road. Remember, as we said before, the actual the whole property is kind of split into three parcels. Yes. But if you look at that reservoir where the water is, it's pretty much directly north. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's, okay. so that's a good landmark. If you're remember. looking for it on the map, it's a good landmark to put on there. And then there's a tiny bit of water, kind of a patch of it that's kind of north northeast. Okay. Of the ranch house, anyway. And so Bottle Hollow is very close to Fort Duchesne, which was an actual fort. That's why yeah. it's called Fort yeah. Duchesne, right. which is spelled Duchesne. <laughs> That's, yes. Our never-ending fascination with pronunciation. First of all, the Uintah Basin has been a hotspot for years. Locals have been reporting UFOs, cattle mutilations, and even Sasquatch sightings for decades. So you have to wonder, like, how can all these things be happening in one place? And you take it a step further if you want to reference our episode on the Coral Castle, for example, and the fact that there's aeronautical charts for the area, and this is from Ryan Skinner's website, that show the area over the ranch and to the west of it have a pronounced magnetic anomaly in an air, in the area that can affect compasses. Yeah. So, and that's something, when you, they put these on these charts because they're basically saying to you as a pilot, if your plane has issues here, we yeah. know about it. Tough turkeys, but that's what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> but why take a chance? Is yeah. if you don't even if you don't recognize this kind of phenomena, right? It's a recorded, reported phenomenon. So right. And know. so getting back to Duchesne, it had been established originally to guard the Indian frontier in eastern Utah, western Colorado, and southwestern Wyoming. Mm. It was an active fort from 1886 to 1912. In 1888, two years after it opened. Congress declared 7,000 acres of Ute land just to the west of the fort public domain so that it could be mined. This is lobbying in its finest form. Yeah, you let's, could, take it, yeah. let's take it from the Utes and let's mine it. Anyway, when they did this, apparently they accidentally left out any declaration of law for the territory. So as a result, it was like Vegas in the old days. There were no holds barred. The boys of the 9th Cavalry, who'd actually ridden with Teddy Roosevelt and the famous Rough Riders at the Battle of San Juan Hill in Cuba during the Spanish-American War, might have been looking for a little action at night when they were trying to find something to do outside of Fort Duchesne. Well, of course. So that 7,000 acres was a neighboring, completely lawless territory. And it was filled with brothels and saloons and all kinds of nighttime activities. Uh And there was a ravine that was en route between that territory and the fort. And I guess the soldiers on their way back from their their cavorting, yeah. drinking all the way, carrying bottles, laughing, and I guess not too worried about skinwalkers, were yeah. throwing empty bottles into the ravine. Yeah, That ravine became known as Bottle Hollow. And ah. when they filled it with water in 1970, the Army Corps of Engineers covered it with a reservoir. And the reservoir became known, and is still known to this day, as Bottle Hollow Reservoir. Ah, interesting. Yeah. This reservoir itself has its own legend, its own legacy that's not too different from the Skinwalker legacy. There's a little bit less varied activity. But here's the other thing that's really interesting to me. Yeah. The Utes actually had a resort there from 1968 to 1985 that went out of business after an oil bust in the area. What do you mean, like a a casino? 
I don't know if it was a casino. It <laughs> yeah. was a resort. I don't think it was a casino, but no. it was a resort, and yeah. the buildings are amazing looking. Hmm. There's only one still standing, I guess, or one that I can find online. Mid-century moderns, and this one that's still there, it's like a pyramid. It's unbelievable looking. Hmm. And uh, we have a link, actually, to a Flickr page that has like nine pictures of that building that's, yeah. that's creepy, especially if you're into a UE or urban exploration. Oh. But yeah. um, And a final interesting historical side note, actually. Mm-hmm. The resort, when it opened, was dead dedicated by one of my favorite radio broadcasters of all time, Paul Harvey. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Right. Whose show, Mm -hmm. The Rest of the Story, ran five days a week on ABC Radio. And I remember when I was a little kid riding (laughs) around with my grandfather in his Lincoln Town Car, which even though it only had two doors, was at least 50 feet long. Yeah. And the doors weighed more than a house. Yeah, but when they opened, you could get into either the front or back seat just as easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But we, yeah, it was like the car was basically splitting in half when yeah. the door opened. <laughs> right. We would listen to Paul Harvey. And he, if you kids out there have never heard of him, that is worth digging something up online. He is yeah. voice and his ability to tell stories really amazing. And that's the rest of the story. And he the he just, the yeah, these pauses for dramatic effect. Like yeah. he was, he had his own thing going. He was, he was pretty amazing. <laughs> anyway, right. well, I digress. But that's how Bottle Hollow got its name. Now, here's the thing. The reservoir itself has been a hotbed of activity, as I said earlier, for years. And there are even stories among the Utes that a large black serpent or more than one live in its waters. So the general theory there is that if something actually exists, it's probably a pleosaur or some crazy dinosaur that somehow managed to survive millions of years after it should have been extinct. Yeah. But in this case, we're talking about a reservoir that's not even 50 years old yet. Yeah. So that's not going to be what's happening there. And then on top of that, there's been hauntings in the area around the lake. There's one entry on this website, Backpackerverse, about camping there that says, there's been a Ute hunting party sighted by several camping groups at Bottle Hollow. They describe them as sitting around a campfire, just staring at the fire, not speaking. The backpackers go up to them. They try to talk to them. They don't react. Some of the backpackers even speak their native dialect, and there's no reaction. After a moment, the hunting party vanishes, but the fire flickers on for just a few minutes more. Afterwards, there's no trace the fire was ever there. According to the Ute Tribal Police, there's been an inordinate number of drowning deaths, too. But one in particular caught the attention of George Knapp and Colm Kelleher in their book, Hunt for the Skinwalker. A woman and her boyfriend were swimming at night. The woman began struggling, yelling that something was pulling her under the water. Her boyfriend jumped in to rescue her and later told police that he had struggled with a large black snake in the water. By the time he got her to the surface, she had drowned and could not be resuscitated. The police had already heard tales of serpents swimming all around the reservoir in the moonlight. Witnesses corroborate the account. So how does a large man-eating serpent come to find its way into a reservoir that's not even a half century old? Maybe they aren't snakes. Or maybe they're only snakes when they need to be. And as if that wasn't enough, blue balls of light have been seen entering and leaving the reservoir. And where do they go? They head for Skinwalker Ridge in the direction of the ranch. Well, that is interesting because the serpent figures prominently in uh, Ute legend. They, as a people, I believe, were think they were related to the bear. That's kind of their history, um, okay. legendary history. But the snake also, it's part of their uh, the drawings on the petroglyphs and petrographs found in the canyons of Utah. And they're depicted more serpentine than skeletal, a lot of the figures. 
And the snake does seem to be more consistent with the beliefs, as Ryan Skinner notes in his book, Skinwalker Ranch, No Trespassing. But they do have more of a bent to things having an extraterrestrial origin. So if you look at the eyes and some of the petroglyphs, they look a little alien. But this big black snake, yeah, it's not out of the uh, the realm of these types of creatures. I looked online at yeah. Bottle Hollow. Yeah. People fishing. It seems like a really nice place. <laughs> well, for some, yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> but, again, not yeah. a place I'm going to go fishing. Well, not a moonlight swim. Yeah. Uh, it's always kind of dangerous and creepy. And those orbs are to be feared if the stories are to be believed. Uh, those orbs can be dangerous. Before we get into more of the incidents that happen on the ranch, why don't you hit me up with some stories about incidents that happened not on the ranch? Like we said, it's not just about the borders, and it's not even just about the neighboring area. In a lot of ways, it's the entire four and what they call three corners region. This just yeah. the whole Southwest yeah. is, is a hotbed of activity. Three corners, four corners, the whole Great Basin area. Yeah, yeah, it's the land of enchantment. Yeah, and you know, yeah. it's funny. I was on a road trip, and I went to uh, the four corners. I've been a couple times in the past. I just think just two or three years, and. I took my son there. The first time I took him, he was so young. There's a place out in the desert yeah. where you can see. Oh, you and have, this is south there. Yes. Where, where the Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah borders all meet up. And yeah. if you go to the actual place, you can stand in four states at once. Right. Now, which, I, I, which I believe is mis-surveyed. <laughs> Didn't you hear well, that? Well, yes. Okay. I, th- th- there's a couple of things about that. <laughs> okay. One is that when I was a kid, it was a little like concrete podium. Yeah. And it was surrounded by Navajos selling really cool, like, blankets and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now it's a big thing, (laughs) and it still has the little sales kiosk, but nobody was in them when I was there. There's a Cinnabon there. Yeah. My son was so young, he he couldn't really have cared less about it. I have a great picture of him playing playing on my iPhone (laughs) in four states at once. Yeah, well, that's something. (laughs) Yeah. I also heard it was missurveyed, and I I think that it's not exactly in the right position. So that's the other thing I love is it's like this mecca that all these tourists go to to be in four states at once, when in reality that spot is out in the parking lot. Look, it's the idea. (laughs) It's symbolic, like a lot of what we're talking about tonight. Nothing magical happens if you're actually on that one point. Right. You know, the, of the four states. Right. But it's a man-made the, no, construct. And, yeah, and, the, and yeah. by the way, that's way south of where we're talking about. When I said three corners earlier, that's what they refer to up closer to where the ranch is. Utah, Wyoming, and Idaho. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because they all come to a juncture right there. So that's four corners, three corners. But the four corners is the one that's like the only place in the country where you can be in four states at once if you're in the right spot. I believe that's... parking lot, which <laughs> no, nobody knows where it is. Not technically, <laughs> yes. But the whole area, you know, you're not too far, really, from some other enchantment. Well, uh, that's... Dul- Dulce Base. Yes. Los Alamos yeah. National Laboratory. Here's a story from the region, I would say. There, mm-hmm. there was a police officer who was driving down this road. I can't remember what road it was, but it's, this is outside of Gallup, New Mexico. Yeah. And this ghoul apparently comes out of nowhere and is running along next to his car, and he said it was wearing some sort of white mask. And he's going highway speed, and this thing is just running along next to the car, which comes back to the story we told in part one. Yeah, skinwalker trait. Yeah, of being able to keep up with a moving vehicle. So this officer is, like, so freaked out. He goes and he tells a fellow officer about it, and I believe these are tribal police, actually. Mm -hmm. And that guy then describes identical encounters. And that guy has seen two... And at the time that I read this piece, that particular one was still patrolling that road and is scared to death every time he does it. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you something that I remember again from my road trips as a boy with my dad. We were traveling through Gallup or near Gallup, and on the way into town, we were listening to the radio and listening to news. And what was on the news was a story about a pit they had found with something like 40 dead dogs in it. 
And there oh, was a whole thing yeah. of a, a plausible satanic cult. Here we go, uh-huh, satanic uh-huh. ritual kind of thing. This would have been in the early 80s probably. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, that was the time for but it. But it struck a chord with me. I'm this little kid riding with my dad at the time in an International Harvester Scout 2. <laughs> Yeah, nice. Uh, which oh, was classic. a great truck, but yeah. I'm not necessarily feeling the safest at night in Gallup, New Mexico. No, <laughs> no. Did they ever find out what, what happened? What, I don't know. We caused? were just passing through. Okay. And you kept I, on passing. Yeah. I certainly didn't want to stay. Well, that's <laughs> – But that is classic. By, by the way, uh, I love yeah. Gallup. If anybody's from Gallup, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Gallup. Well, it's Route 66. I've stayed there a million times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gallup, New Mexico. That's classic skinwalker behavior because that's one of the benefits of becoming a skinwalker. You can travel great distances very quickly. Yeah. And so uh, witches, as well as, you know, your male skinwalker, which is mostly, it's mostly male, but sometimes children and sometimes women. That. Just then you sound like Cliff from Cheers. What? You got your male skinwalkers. You got your male skinwalkers <laughs> and you got, you know, females. <laughs> That's one of the benefits other than taking revenge on your enemies, <laughs> you yeah. know, from, with mystical uh, death stares, you do have the ability to cover great distances. And that's a common reporting element there that we've we've heard like uh, things taking off like a distance of like 200 yards yeah in about three or four seconds which just seems it seems impossible seeing something like that alone which is faster than any regular animal could travel and then this region as well there have been numerous sightings of large birds that have been described as pterodactyl in nature oh Yeah. So zooming down over people as they're running down roads and oh geez the great thing about this story you got to say, hands down, is the variety. Yeah. It's got everything. Well, here's another story that's really fascinating to me. This was another one from Hunt from the Skinwalker. In this story, this family, non-Native American family, white folks are <laughs> driving along mm-hmm. this road across the Navajo Reservation, the large one in Arizona. And as they came around this bend, they describe what seemed like time slowing down. Ooh, UFO? No, a weird, a really weird feeling. And then some beast they described with long black hair all over its body jumps out of a ravine and up to their car and it's wearing a man's clothes (laughs) it's had like a blue and white checkered shirt and you're not making that part no i'm not making any of this up (laughs) (laughs) that part no the checkered shirt no it was a blue and white checkered shirt (laughs) okay and i guess khakis so, so he, he dressed kind of he, smartly. He just been to Old Navy. Yeah, you know. So, but it was huge. They said it was kind of human-like, and it had yellow eyes, and the whole family said that time stood still. A few days later, when they were home in Flagstaff, they heard drumming outside their house uh-huh. in the middle of the night. They get up, and they go over to their windows, and they look out, and they see three men on the edge of their property attempting to climb their small fence, but they can't seem to cross it, even though it's not really a physical barrier. Uh-huh. Now, that goes back to something you said earlier in tonight's show. They are not invited. The other interesting element is that with this one especially, we're hearing multiples. The two skinwalkers smoking a cigarette. Yeah. It's the, there's the three here with Gwen Sherman's sighting. I think she said there was another strange, weird-looking dog. Yes, off behind. in the distance. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of pairing up here. So they're hanging out together. And this story starts on the re- reservation, but then yeah. they're back in Flagstaff all the way home. Well, and this is seemingly the follow-up to it. Now, Eventually, they called a a Navajo woman to come out and bless the house. Yeah. And when she came, she said she was exceedingly surprised that these skinwalkers had taken an interest in this Caucasian family. Yeah. She said that it was very rare. Yeah. But they must have seen the family's power. 
Uh-huh. Now, what do you mean by just their I don't spiritual know. energy? That's what they, I don't know. Yeah, their yeah. spiritual energy, something. Huh. By the way, the dad in this story is a Vietnam vet. This guy is not easily rattled. Yeah. But yeah. he is still haunted by those events to yeah. this day. Wow. That's the Navajo version of, uh, this house is clean. <laughs> the Navajo woman is performing the true duties of a shaman, which is to remove curses and protect people to do good. Right. So it's kind of the opposite. She's doing battle with these uh, with these skinwalkers. All right. So let's head back to the ranch here for a minute. There are a long series of events that take place at the ranch. And it, it's at this point that I want to reiterate anybody who is interested in this story and fascinated by the stories that we're telling, there's a lot of really great books to check out. And one of the ones that I would absolutely recommend is The Hunt for the Skinwalker, by Colm Kelleher and George Knapp, last name K-N-A-P-P. Pretty easy to find. Just look up Skinwalker on Amazon. It's one of the first ones that comes up. Some other really great books by a man named Ryan Skinner, S-K-I-N-N-E-R, no relation to Skinner on the X-Files as far as we know. <laughs> no, but that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Or, or B.F. Skinner. Yeah, yeah B.F. Skinner. Um, but his books are really amazing as well. And then there's the one that we referenced earlier by Frank Salisbury, the Utah UFO Display, which is a detail of over 400 sightings in the Uinta Basin and in Utah in general. And it's a very scientific approach to it. And although I haven't personally read much of that book, I've only read excerpts from it. I'm wanting to read it myself. There's only so many books I can swallow whole in the amount of days we usually are trying uh, to prepare for one yeah. of these episodes. Right. But there's some events here that Kelleher and Knapp talk about happening on the ranch to the Shermans. And I, I wanted to highlight a few of them. One of them is the presence of an RV, a strange RV, off in the distance. Uh, the first thing I always think of when I hear about a strange RV is oh, Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh, yes. And, hey, and, there's yeah. no shortage of tweakers and mobile meth labs and no, all that's, that kind of, that's you know, true. That's because something to be worried about when you're out in the middle of nowhere. No, absolutely. Uh, I have friends that have gone out to the Salton Sea just to kind of camp. Crawling I've, with I've, tweakers. I've, I've done that myself. And, and you'll be out in a, in a ravine because you think it's far away from everything. And uh, this didn't happen while I was there, but some strange guy walks up out yeah. of the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Not hairy, not <laughs> not a skinwalker. <laughs> no, but kind of twitchy. Apparently. Looking for a fix. Yeah, yeah you don't or know something what he's, to sell you for. You don't a fix. know well, you don't know what they're up to. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's just like they stay and, away from drugs, kids. Well, yeah. And no, you want to be a zombie at the Salton Sea. <laughs> it seems like you're out in the middle of nowhere, but they tell you you have to lock up your stuff and don't be away too long because they come by and they, people have been robbed. Yeah. It's just a strange thing. I mean the mm. desert is is strange Mad Max itself, scenario. Yeah. But this R V thing I love because it starts off seeming so normal. Yeah. So Terry and his kids are on the ranch, and they feel like they can see this RV off in the distance. Now, this is pretty typical. When you have a big piece of land, this happens, you know, not just in the Southwest, but all over the U.S. I know from people that that own larger tracts of land. People will trespass, and they will look for trails to come, and they will come hike on your land or camp on your land or whatever. So they see this thing out there, and they're thinking, okay, we got to go check this out. So they start walking out, and it's in the dark, and they're approaching this RV, and somehow – it gets wind that they're coming, and they don't know how. It could have heard them or seen them, but it starts moving. And they notice that it has a white light in the front of it and a red light in the back. So they're on foot. They start running as they get closer and closer to it. And then it starts taking off, and they think, oh, if there's a fence here. We've got it trapped. But then as they get closer and closer to it, just like the uh, car behind Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters <laughs> yeah, yeah. when he's at the train tracks, right. 
it lifts up and goes over a five-foot barbed wire fence. And after that, yeah. it rises up above a tree line. Well, they kept trying to get closer to it, Yeah, right? they kept yeah. trying to get and closer it, and, to it. And it moves away. It moves away, and then it rises up above a tree line and flies far away. And the tree line is 50 feet tall. Yeah. Now, you were talking earlier yeah. about Garth Myers, who yes. later became the podiatrist, who was the nephew that worked the summers yeah. on the ranch when it was Ken and Edith Myers' ranch before the Shermans bought it. Right. At this particular time, Terry's nephew was on the ranch. So it was Terry's son and his nephew who had given chase with him of this RV that magically flew away. After that event, Terry's nephew's parents no longer let Terry's nephew come to the ranch. Oh, yeah. That's just one of those things that happened. There was another incident with an RV that was parked on the land, and Gwen, Terry's wife, could see it from the house. She looks out this window, and she sees it out there on the land. And the problem is she's home alone, and she's like, what is going on? And she can see it's brightly lit from the inside, and there seems to be a desk inside. And there's a guy walking around, a human of some kind, walking around inside. He seems to be sitting at the desk, and he has some, like, gigantic headgear on according to her. Uh, yeah, yeah. She can't really tell what's going on, but she is so scared to death. And just prior to that, she had seen a UFO, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so she's yeah. making the connection. We're going to come back to the UFO story. She's making a, a connection that maybe they're related to each other. So she calls Terry, and I can't remember where he was. He's on the road. He's somewhere far away, like yeah. four or five hours. She's like, you have to come back. You have to come back. Please come back. You have to come back. You know, And you have to remember at this point, their personal lives are unraveling a little bit from yeah. all the things that are happening on the ranch. So he comes back. It's the next morning, essentially. They go out to where she says she saw this thing. And when they get there, they find these footprints. Mm -hmm. The footprints are 18 inches long and have yeah. a very unusual print to them with like a round heel, almost uh -huh. like a ball heel. And it's a giant foot, way too big to be a human being. Yeah. So – it's not a military boot. They don't know what it is. At that point, they decide that they're not even going to let their kids go outside anymore. Wow. Yeah. Now, earlier that evening, I think she had seen a black triangle. Now, the black triangles, every aspect yeah. of the Skinwalker Ranch could be its own ancillary episode of our yeah. show. I know yeah. we say this all the time. Somebody actually just wrote us today that said that we like Stop to play a it. game oh. about yeah, how many episodes and how many times are we going to mention Amelia Earhart. But um, What did I do? Yeah. The, that's not the one we mention all the time. We so many more. Well, Oak Island. Yeah, they, there's a lot of things that, you know, all roads lead back to uh, Nova Scotia yeah. and Scotland, well, Scotland. and yeah. Paris. Yeah. Everything is connected. Everything is connected. And if you believe uh, one of the two uh, major theories here, the multiverse or supersymmetry, yes. it is, in yeah. a way. In a way. You know, a quantum entanglement. Look that up, kids. The black triangle to me is kind of like the latest model of yeah. it's the four GT <laughs> of the UFOs. Well, yeah. it's a big deal. You know, in Phoenix, they had that mass sighting, which I think was in the late eighties. I can't remember exactly, but thousands yeah, was, of people saw yeah. this huge black triangle. Thousands yeah. of people. Governor Simonton at the time saw it. Uh, right. Yeah. I think it wasn't so much a triangle. It looked like to me a a square. Uh, say like a V or a carrot. Did you see over a letter sometimes? Well, a V or is a, a triangle. <laughs> well, it wasn't completed on the bottom. All right, a boomerang. But people, no, everybody saw this, and then they had lights. So of course that was a thing. Is like, well, it's just flares in unison. Yeah. That the air force was dropping flares. They all come out in a V shape, and it was in unison. And people were like, well, no, because it blocked out the sky between 
right. the orbs of light. Right. But in the Black Triangle case here, that is a very common thing. In fact, I was reading one of the articles here by Ken Lane, and he's writing for the all. But Ken Lane is the editor and publisher of the Desert Oracle publication, and he describes being in the area, driving up through there, and seeing that same thing. And it's a, it's a classic shape is a black triangle with a light on each of the corners underneath, and often a center light that glows or looks like it's emitting uh, some kind of energy. Yeah. That's the classic sighting now, but that's been seen for a very long time. You don't really see the old saucer shape with the with the glass bubble on top and the and the no, green but those antenna. have been seen. Those but have been exactly, seen at the ranch. Exactly. Those and have it, been seen. They yeah. don't seem to, those particular devices don't seem to care that they are retro. Well, from it's, the cool, 50s. it's cool. To, yeah, it's cool. Because <laughs> people are still seeing them. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah but but the, yeah. the other thing that they're seeing a lot at the ranch is what they call a sort of a miniature F-117, which is the stealth fighter, which everyone has seen now. It was classified forever. But, the Wobblin Goblin. Yeah. Because it, it didn't fly very steadily. It right. It was very hard to control. But and it, we've all seen – well, we haven't all, but yeah. a lot of people that listen to the show have probably seen that plane. I don't even know what it's called, but it looks like a wing, like the a B, bat wing. The B-2. Yeah, is that bomber? the bomber? Yeah, the stealth yeah, B two stealth, yeah, bomber. The B2 stealth yeah. bomber. And those things were being tested before they were acknowledged. Yeah. There's no question about that. But these things that people are seeing at the ranch, Gwen and Terry, and later other people, are small yeah. and dead silent and able to sit still in the air. Yeah, those are several qualities not found in any conventional military or even top secret military aircraft because they have to fly with a phrase that Scott likes all the time, ballistic motion. Yes. They're powered by jet engines still. They operate on lift. They need to go fast yeah. so that they can create a low-pressure area on the tops of their wings, yeah. fluid dynamics, which sucks the wing up into the air and causes the plane to fly or stay right. up in the air. So you might say, if you saw one of these, like, well, that's just an F-117 out for maneuvers. But you have to realize that what people are seeing here in these miniature F-117s Yeah is that they don't exhibit ballistic motion. They right. hover. Non-ballistic and, motion. Yeah, they take off 90-degree angles, all kinds of crazy stuff. Make no noise and fly low. And the ones at the ranch seem to be looking for something on the ground. It's like they're scanning. Well, it's like they're drones, doesn't it? Selling it? it does. Yeah. And that comes back to a whole other theory. And it, I, like we said, people, <laughs> in part one of this, yeah. these events, all these things that are happening are so all over the place. It's very hard <laughs> Yes. To make this into a cohesive yeah. story. But we're storytellers. We like to tell stories. Well, there's a lot of yeah. mini stories here. There's which, a lot yeah. of mini stories. So just bear with us. I know we're kind of all over the place on this, but this is how this ranch is. This ranch doesn't care if you can't write <laughs> a three-act structure about it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. It just doesn't care. No, it, they, so, right. There's history, which we did get through, uh, starting, uh, geez, if you clock it all the way back to the first human beings in the area 10, 11,000 years ago, yeah. coming from the Bering Strait Bridge down to present day. And what I think are some of the more fun things is all these wacky stories. And and again, yes, you may be wanting us to stick to some more defined narrative, but that is the narrative. That is the is, narrative. Is all of these strange things, these don't fit into one category. This isn't no. like a ghost story. We tell the ghost, oh, the, the, the house is built in the you know, 1820s and and then this happened present day. All this stuff is happening all throughout. Who knows how far it goes back? 10,000 yeah. years maybe, and this is what it's culminated into today. Now yeah, we're just visiting. Yeah. We're just visiting this story. Yeah. We're touching on things, and I just love hearing all these crazy, wacky things, because if this is something that somebody's telling you over a few beers at the bar or at the campfire, yeah. I'd be riveted. That's the one where, uh, wait, what? What did you say you saw? That's crazy. You know what's a bummer? 
when you get stuck mid-metamorphosis to an otherworldly creature? I hate it when that happens. All covered in fur. Not too different from my real-life situation, actually. Ugh, TMI. I'm a hairy dude. Uh, Please, again. Uh, But with Harry's, you'd never have to worry if you got stuck halfway between wolf and man because you'd have everything you need to get totally cleaned up thanks to their Razor's five German-crafted blades with a flex hinge and lubricating strip. In fact, their Truman starter set should take care of getting you back to a smooth, hairless human face. So, whether you're half-human, half-skinwalker, or half-werewolf like Scott, forget about cheap, poorly-made drugstore blades. Eliminate the middleman. And no, we're not saying eat him. We're saying take him out of the picture without violence by taking advantage of Harry's factory direct prices that are half the cost of the leading brand. Good shave, good price. It's simple. Get the best of both worlds with Harry's. And my wife loves how smooth my skin is after a Harry's shave and a little bit of their high-quality post-shave balm. Harry's starter set, called the Truman, is a great option for new customers and an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show that will allow you to get the Truman set for just $10 with free shipping. That's right. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code LEGENDS. Go to harrys.com right now and look for the Truman set. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code LEGENDS at checkout to get $5 off and help support our show. Stop compromising. Give Harry's a try today. So here's another thing that occurs on the ranch more than a few times. Mm. The presence of what one might describe as a portal. Now, a lot of people who play video games know what a portal is. Mm. Mm-hmm. People who are into science fiction, yeah. if it's even a thing. But it's basically, uh, it's kind of like the Stargate or one of my favorite really old Star Treks when they find that planet that everyone left through the portal. Oh. They go back in time into different places all over the universe. Pretty cool. My first instance in being just four years older than you, it had such an impact on me. And I can't believe in the course of our research and looking for upcoming stories, and I'll tease it here a little, it had such an impact on me. I never forgot it to this day. And Scott Scott can attest to this. It's an episode of The Twilight Zone called Little Girl Lost. Oh, yeah. Written by Richard Matheson. Yeah. And parodied in The Simpsons. Treehouse of Horror, I think, uh, 14 or something like that. <laughs> you you folks out there know that. But that's the word where Homer goes into the 3D real world. Oh, yes. And lands near an, an erotic cake store. Right. <laughs> which, which isn't so bad. <laughs> that episode, it's not the scariest thing. It didn't have any weird monsters in it. But what it opened up to me in my mind was that this could possibly exist. There's two things about it. One, is there another world beyond ours that's just a hair's breadth, a millimeter away, that is a whole other world? And what does that world look like? And they do show you in the episode. They show you uh, what it looks like a little bit on the other side. Right. Uh, the other one is that I, the father in the story, who's a little girl, he can hear her. And so can the wife. And of course, they're freaking out. They can't find her. They thought she rolled under the bed. He has a friend who's a physicist. And it's science to the rescue. <laughs> that's, right. what I, that's the thing I loved about it. It's yes. like going, I never minded going to the doctor because here we go. Some, somebody who's skilled in this is going to tell me what's wrong and, what's, and how to fix it. Yeah. Uh, so they bring in a physicist and he removes the bed. They mark where the bed posts are. Oh, and yes. He, I remember this now. He marks yes. off where this portal is. And he said, well, we don't really yes. know what happens, but these things open up from time to time. The idea of it, to me, was was fascinating and a little scary, but more fascinating than scary. Um, well, yeah. maybe this is just the media preparing us for... Well, an impending discovery. Remember the yeah. guy who went under the sink? 
the kitchen sink. <laughs> Gave, the plumber that, came out in that a, was an ad, wasn't another it? house. Yeah, it turned out it was a commercial. <laughs> it was a commercial, but, but it, know, beca- it became a, like an urban legend that this oh, guy, yeah, like, because people people just crawled ran with through it. and came out in another house yeah. in another like parallel universe. Or something. Well, here's a little <laughs> another little aside. This, of course, all reminded me of the film The Mist, the Stephen from the Stephen King story. Yeah, of course, Hollywood and uh, probably people's imagination all goes to the the horrible thing. But anything on the other side is horrible. Right. It all bleeds acid. It all wants to chomp your limbs off and tear you in two. Not to give everything away, but the army accidentally opens up a Stranger rift. Things. Stranger, yeah, yeah. So we're all fascinated yeah. by it, and it's all the possibility of what's there. And, of course, again, because it's, it's more dramatic if it is horrible. Well, let's talk about these portals on yeah. the ranch. Terry, at one point, he said that there was this orange ball of light that he would see in the sky at night. Yeah, about how big? It was distant, and it would be – I guess it would look to him yeah. like it was not huge, you know, right. small, but big enough to be – Larger than a basketball. Yeah. It was hard to tell because it would be far away. Right. But it would open up in the middle. Yeah. Like almost like it had a tunnel to it or a window in yeah. it. Yeah. And he would see this thing at night. And when it opened up, do you know what he saw yes. in the hole? Yes. And this is what I love about this little bit of story because it's it's crazy. Blue sky. Yeah. Yeah. Daytime. Bright blue sky. Yeah. On the other side. Now, he's seen this thing a couple of times. It's always in the same place. And we're going to talk a little bit about That's some possibilities there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's seeing it in the same place over and over. At one point, he sees it. He sees it open up. And at this time, it's dark inside. But oh. there's something. He can see something coming. Yeah. Like a darkness coming out of it. And as he's looking, I think at the time, he was using a night vision scope. Yeah. He had some equipment by this yeah, point. He yeah, he did have some equipment. And he's looking. And this thing that comes out... He realizes that there's something coming towards him rapidly, and it's getting closer and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then he takes the scope down just in time, and it's a black triangle, and it flies over his head and disappears. Wow. Came out of the hole in the sky. Yeah. So think about what it means to see blue sky. It's not like uh, you're seeing the Earth's blue sky because the sun is on the other side of the Earth. It's nighttime there. So you're seeing blue sky possibly from another dimension, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Why that's not? well not on this ranch. <laughs> Anything goes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, but think about all the possibilities. You know if what's on the other side? Light, what? Curly's gold. No, Sorry. the legend. Well, it's a legend. Come on, it's a legend of Curly's gold. <laughs> Jack Palette. Yes, you guys will really have to look that one up. But I was thinking about this. So, like, what? What do you mean? Why would it be blue sky? Like, if you could punch a hole in the nighttime, talk about a bad place to set up a dude ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. No, oh, yeah, you don't want no. the city slickers coming out there. <laughs> well, trying to learn how to rope cows that run into the yeah. other dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's been no shortage of people. Again, we have to reiterate this. this is a good thing you brought this up. Yeah. Do not go there. No. It is private property, and I don't know how many legend trippers we have. Yeah, but visit the lovely town of Vernal. Yes. Um, Visit the actual little towns around there, but don't try to go to the ranch itself seeing something weird. Because, one, you're probably not going to actually see anything. Nope. Nowadays. But the, you will get familiar with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and yeah, the they're local right police. There. Yeah, they're right there. <laughs> they And they don't uh, find that humorous. So in any case, yeah, it's not a good place for people who don't really want to see anything like this. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people who do. Yeah, I'm a little bit of You're, a split <laughs> personality. Yeah, that's right. You I did, do and don't. Yeah, I know. 
I know. Well, you don't want it following you home. And, and what uh, what's, would be okay with me is if you went and yeah. then maybe periscoped it, okay, and I could watch it live. Well, I could do that. Okay. Yeah. There yeah. we go. No, no. I, I for and myself I'll be uh, in Salt Lake. <laughs> Again, oh, you it's, know where I could go? Sundance. Yeah. I'll go to Sundance. Uh, no, That's to close Park by. City. Yeah. But we were talking about. <laughs> you were comparing this to uh, Greyfriars, and you said like, you know, I said, well, why well, would go there? And would you, you, you asked me why on the ranch? Yeah, on the ranch, sure. Well, we're going to talk about some yeah, of the other events before but you this agree is, to that. Okay. You were making fun of me because it's like, well, nothing ever happened. Uh, I believe nothing will ever happen to me. Yeah. It's sort of like that in that I don't believe that I am exceptional or beyond risk or beyond something happening to, which it just usually doesn't right. for me. So I'd be the one guy that goes there like, yeah, nothing happened. Yeah. So when I hear these stories of like, well, I was there two years and nothing weird happened. You I get and Garth. That. Yeah, I know. I, I get that. <laughs> but I hold open the possibility that weird things could happen there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving on from the portal stories, yeah. I want to mm-hmm. address a few other things here. Honestly, I can't figure out how to frame this. What is it? Yeah, what do you This is going to be one of those sections that we warned you about at the beginning oh, of the show. Oh, we're going to get into cattle now. Yeah. Okay. And you can listen to the overt details and I'll give you a little heads up when it's about to get wonky. It's a little gory, so if you have youngins listening and they're squeamish about that, you might want to We'll give you the heads up. Yeah, we we'll might to fast up. forward, but I will say this is nothing that is out of the ordinary for the cattle mutilation story. That's true. So, we're going to start with some of the cows that were disappearing. And we have to remember that, as we said in part one, that Terry Sherman was an expert in animal husbandry. Yeah. He prided himself on his fine steer that he had and that he ranched him and his wife and their family took care of. Angus and really high-end prize steer. Well, they're expensive to begin with. As we said before, cattle can be a couple thousand dollars each. Yeah, and for a lot of ranchers who farm cattle, I guess, the acceptable losses run in the range of maybe 5% for a year. Yeah. For him, prior to his purchase of Skinwalker, or <laughs> yeah. he, he would look more to be in around in the 1% range yeah. of losing cattle. Yeah. That's not what happened, though, at Skinwalker Ranch. And once they got set, they started to have some problems. And one of the first things that happened was some of the cattle started to vanish, yeah, disappear into completely thin air. Yeah. Yes. One of the stories that we'll talk about is they were actually out in a heavy, heavy snowstorm looking for a prized cow that they couldn't find. The weather was really bad. They couldn't find her. He sees the animal's tracks. He says, thank God, I found her. I've got, I can follow these tracks in the snow. It's a piece of cake. He's trying to track her down. He starts following the tracks, and then he can see that she started running. Yeah. And he's trying to figure out why would one of his cows be running in a snowstorm. Yeah. There are no tracks of anything else. There are no tracks showing that she's being chased but she's running. Then the tracks get more and more hectic. She's running faster and faster, more frantic, darting around, changing directions. And this is all, again, in the snowstorm. He continues to track her. Finally, he gets to a point, and just like the wolf that they first met when they first came to the property, Mm -hmm. the tracks stop. No cow. Yeah. No nothing. Just snowstorm, tracks gone. Mm Mm-hmm. So you think, okay, well, maybe there was a snowdrift, whatever, that's fine. But you would think if that was the case, the animal would turn up the next day, dead or alive. The body, dead or alive. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's a body. (laughs) Right. But the point is, it didn't. Yeah. He never found it. It's gone. It's just gone. Yeah. And this is probably, you know, worth several thousand dollars. So he's at a point where he's like, what is happening? She was the first of four that completely 
vanished. Out of their total of 14, I believe, right? Yeah. Okay. No bodies ever found. Now, maybe it's cattle rustlers, right? But how does a cattle rustler pick <laughs> yeah. up a half-ton animal? Because yeah. this one was described as being 1,000 pounds. Yeah. In a blinding snowstorm, how many helicopters can lift 1,000 pounds? Yeah. There are cargo helicopters that can do that. Yeah, so, are they dead silent? Can they fly in a blizzard? Right. No. So what happened? Where did it go? Well, that's what I always want to ask you. When we first mentioned the, the idea of cattle mutilation and what was happening, because you have some geographical ties to some of that area, yeah, you were saying, like, well, you know, the, most of the evidence really does point to some kind of government uh, radiation testing. They're, they're, this, a lot of that can be explained. And I mentioned this, Scott. We, I'd heard an interview with somebody who uh, wrote a book about Dulce Base which has a lot of that going on, a lot of cattle mutilations. And, uh, you know, his father was a law enforcement officer in the area. I believe he's Native American, I'm not sure, or, or Hispanic and a mix of Native American. But the younger one, he also was a law enforcement officer. And when he retired, he wrote a book about it. And, and I always love the statistic because it kind of does show the actual, like, skeptical and uh, – kind of layout of the stories and that he was saying that, well, you know what, we did thorough, thorough research and I will say that 90 out of 100 cases, 95 out of 100 cases, we kind of know what happened. It was probably, you know, misdiagnosed. It was misinterpreted. They didn't take into account all the facts. They jumped to a conclusion of animal mutilation. But there's those five that so baffled us, we have no idea what happened. Right. So I will say that the kind of the elements that you hear about this, it's like, okay, some of that can be explained, possibly, but there's a few, like, again, blinding snowstorm, no prints, no tracks, no blood, giant beast disappeared. How do you accomplish that? That brings me to the other sort of more extreme story, one of the more extreme ones. Yeah. In this story, Terry and his son were out in a heavy, heavy rainstorm. They were attempting to rescue some calves that had strayed. And in the process, Terry's son found a cow in a ravine where mm. there was a creek. And she was stuck. It was muddy and she couldn't get out. And she was clearly in distress. But there was also a calf he needed to save. So first he rescued the calf and took her back to, I think, a stand of trees or something yeah. to her mom. Yeah. Then he comes back. And kids, this is the part that you might not – you want to just go ahead and skip ahead a few minutes if you want to. Mm. Um, maybe five minutes. Knowing yeah. us, it could be longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he comes back to the cow and she is now dead in the ravine. He had been gone 20 minutes wrangling the calf. Yeah. She's laying down on her side and he realizes that there's something odd about her. Mm. The back end? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It turns out that – her anus or anal yeah. region had been yeah. cored out with a six-inch diameter hole. Oof. And the entire contents of her body had been removed. Really? Theoretically. Through the, through the hole. Through the hole. Yeah. And I say theoretically because they weren't there and there yeah. was no blood. The cow was dead and empty and not a drop of blood going yeah. into the stream in the ravine. Wow. See? 20 minutes, that's mm. what that took. Yeah. The animal was alive and well, in a panic, but alive yeah. and well. And the hole in the posterior of the cow yeah. was a perfect circle. Yeah. So this is cattle mutilation. It happens in all different kinds of ways. And yeah. Skinwalker Ranch isn't the only place that it happens. It's no. been going on for a long, long time, all the way back easily to the 70s, and in some cases, further back. With always the same elements of the crime, you could say, all, all of the same uh, A lot of the times things are signs. different. Yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of things that happen. And we're going to talk about this in much more detail 
in part three. Yeah. And then we're also going to be doing a dedicated episode on cattle mutilation in the first quarter of 2017. And I say that because I have family friends that have a ranch at ground zero for this, uh, pretty close to the 38th parallel in southern Colorado, which is where the bulk of them are focused. Yeah. In the latitude they're focused on in North America. And Colorado is a particular hotspot and has been for a very long time. And I have some friends there with a ranch. <laughs> what are they still needing to learn from these cows that they, well, they, that's they, a know, good they can't question. figure out? Jacques Vallée, who we yeah. referenced in the Delphus Ring story, yeah. he had some cases that he said he could date back to, guess where? Scotland. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. As far back as 1890. Wow. Okay. So the, these things have been going on for a long time, and there were other more severe mutilations that are, we're going to talk about in the future. Yeah. But the, the point is, both of these cases where the, the first one where the cow disappeared was in the blizzard. This was a heavy rainstorm. Yeah. With thunder and lightning. So whatever is perpetrating these crimes is able to operate in some of the worst conditions possible quickly, effectively. Not like where a black helicopter or any colored helicopter, for that matter, could operate. They generally do not fare very well in in, uh, thunderstorm conditions. Yeah, and not to get too far into the cattle mutilation thing is because it's probably going to be a multi-part episode in in next year. But – People have described what they call as black helicopters. Yeah, that has present. been seen, right? That has that's an element that goes along with this with this legend. You could say that they're the silent type black helicopters, but they are still helicopters. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, supposedly. Yeah. Kelleher and Knapp put forth a theory that these are fake helicopters. Exactly. Yeah. Like and it's a helicopter, folks. Nothing to see here. There is just a, a couple of gray aliens that out makes no noise <laughs> yeah. or looks like a helicopter, except it doesn't have any rotors. Yes. Which you can't Same see anyway, thing really. with the F-117, the tiny yeah. F-117. Are these things all just <laughs> aliens pretending yeah. to be something else? Yes. So I'm, uh, I'm just I'm, – I'm not a man in black. I'm just uh, – I've got a very old-fashioned sense of hat style. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love trench coats. Yeah. So that's the question. Yeah. I mean – Are they trying to just impersonate to kind of throw off a little – well, it, it creates doubt. One thing that it does that we always say that, uh, you know, why come out with these crazy stories is that then the person saying – I saw a white-faced, freaky-looking guy wearing a trench coat and a fedora. You sound crazier. Yeah. So it does throw a little uh, shade that way. It does make it seem more crazy and impossible. Like, I saw a tiny little F-117. Yes. But also it's recognizable. (laughs) Uh, You know what I'm saying? It's just weird. It looks man-made almost. Except it's missing a critical component that a helicopter has, like... Blades. Like blades. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you believe, you're willing to go with us down this road and you believe that the stories that we're telling you are as they say they had happened, then there's things to consider because I often consider this as well. It's like in part one, we told the story about the baby calf kind of getting uh, turned inside out. Yeah. The only thing left was the hide and the bones. Yeah. All the meat was gone. All the organs were were splayed out almost as described by George Knapp ritualistically. Yes. No blood around, and uh, and this happening in a span of 45 minutes. The forensics analyzed the cut marks, and it looked like it was done with like two types of tools here, a, a very large type of machete for the long cuts, and also a very sharp pair of something like shears. Okay, that's technology we could certainly create here on Earth now in the present day, but how do you get around the no blood, 
doing this in, within 45 minutes silently. Exactly. And carrying off 900 pounds of meat. And no tracks of any yeah, kind. 500 pounds of meat if it's a calf or four. Yeah. Yeah, no tracks. A lot of these are, are in the snow. So that technology to pull off some of the things that are being described here is a miracle and a wonder itself. Yes. You know what I'm and saying? So, and we're going to yeah. be a little bit more specific about some of the mutilations in, in part three, but that's just a taste of what was happening. And this has a financial impact on Terry and his oh, business. Yeah. Well, it's you have, more yeah. than just a weird mystery. Yeah. It's a problem. You have to cut bait and, and stop fishing at some point because how far do you go before you're totally bankrupt? Yeah. It's an emotional and psychological drain on the whole family. All right, so now we get to one of the last things I want to talk about before we wrap up part two. And that is the presence of orbs. You have such a thing against orbs, but I get it. I the, totally well, let, get let it. Let me just be clear yeah. about my orb problem. <laughs> yeah, all right. It is. First yeah. of all, yeah. the orbs I have problems with the dust are orbs. Dust orbs okay. on camera lenses. I please, if someone sends me another orb on a camera lens, <laughs> that it's it yeah. is not a ghost. Now, yeah. sometimes you will see things flying around exhibiting very unusual behavior that, for lack of a better word, have to look like orbs because due to depth of field, whatever they are, however far away they are, they're going to appear blurry because they're not at the right focal length for whatever lens is trained on them. However, there's other orbs that appear to be intelligent and have more definition to them than just a soft, fuzzy glow on a bad picture. Right. And these ones exhibit non-ballistic motion, as you said, one of my favorite terms. Yeah. And there's other things that come along with them. And these are the kinds of orbs we're going to be talking about. I am not talking about pictures of dust on the ranch. No, no. We're (laughs) going to be very clear. These aren't just observed on photos uh, after the fact, digital photos. Uh, By the way, I hate to interrupt, but as a person who currently owns four security cameras at my house, (laughs) I would like to say (laughs) that- Every ghost at a gas station trying to get gas (laughs) is a bug crawling on a security camera lens. I have seen it myself on my own cameras. If the bug is right on the lens, it looks fuzzy. It is not a specter trying to bother you while you get your 91 octane. (laughs) Right. You know, there are some security camera footage episodes that I've seen, which clearly are not bugs. That's what we try to do. We try to look at it at knowing a little bit about media and uh, and video and film as we do. Not Certainly not total experts, but we've worked in it as a career. We kind of know that we've seen a lot of stuff and we kind of know the difference. Now, I was going to say with with orbs that you see taken after the fact and they're dust. One thing I will say, somebody I know that I work with was doing some monitoring, let's say supervising some construction in one of the rooms. And so he took photographs of a large meeting room at work when no one was in there. And I saw a series of like 12 photographs, and this is for the realtor, you know, kind of showing off the space. They're going to try and rent it. And in just one of the photos, there was a bunch of orbs. And when you we blew these up, I get it. It's pareidolia. But I swear, a lot of these look like they had faces with different expressions in them. Like young kids, God, bring me men. the picture. I'll see if he still has it. But but I get you know look, I get it. In that, in that case, he's like, well, what do you think that is? You know, he knew I had an interest in this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And it's like, well, if it's just the one photo and uh, and did you, and you sneeze blow it up, right before you took the picture? <laughs> no, I think it's just it's a digital artifact having more prevalent now that there's digital photography utilizing a a sensor like a CMOS sensor and dust particles in the air. And uh, I, there's a whole explanation I read about it. It's like, well, okay, that, I, I believe that. Yeah. Yes, you can blow those up. And l- what we did, and, and you do see strange patterns 
within the tiny little orbs. This is not what we're talking about here. Well, no, this story is a little bit different. In this story, Terry and Gwen are outside their house, and a blue ball of light comes up to them that they describe as being larger than a baseball. Yes. But smaller than a basketball, I think. Somewhere yeah, in that. Yeah, it's somewhere right. in that range. Right. And it comes up to them, and they're both looking at it. And this is when you're like, you're talking about the trance, the trance like mm-hmm. feeling that they might have been in or been under when they first saw the wolf. Yeah. For whatever reason, they had at first a euphoric feeling mm-hmm. when it was hovering in front of them. Mm. And it was close enough that Terry was able to describe it as looking like a glass ball with blue boiling yeah. liquid inside Swirling, it. undulating, like lava lamp kind of blue liquid swirling yeah. around it. And it was kind of mesmerizing. Yeah, mesmerizing. Yeah. And then, and it's emanating this bright blue light as yeah. well. And it's there in front of them. Their dogs are barking at it and going crazy. Yes. They're looking at it. And then suddenly they start to have a sense of dread and yeah. fear and terror like they have never known, both yeah. of them. Yeah. Just complete abject terror danger yeah and it's yeah. it's controlling their mind they can feel it it's like this little ball is playing with them mm. they're like oh a floating ball okay fine so i think it was gwen yeah and, and if you want to know all the details exactly because we we may be conflating two orb incidents here and if we are just read the books the yeah. book is amazing it's very entertaining but i think that gwen had pulled out a flashlight and she's tried to shine it on this orb as yeah. they're standing there scared to death and when she did it took off at that point she collapses to the ground crying they're both kind of numb Terry had described a crackling sound coming from this thing like static electricity yeah, yeah. some sort of staticky sound so they go home scared to death they're in their house trying to get their wits about them I think it's a half hour not too long later it comes back and they see it passing slowly by the windows oh, outside the house boy. circling the house yeah. they felt like it knew what they were thinking like it was in their head hey that's what the Navajo say about the skinwalker yeah it knows what you're thinking and it uses it against you in another instance Terry's sitting outside his house he sees an orange orb in the distance yeah it's very far away like a mile away it comes flying up. He just is freaking out. He's seeing them all the time now. And a uh, lot of times he sees them just before he finds mutilated cattle. Oh, dear. Yeah. So he's thinking of possibly there's some kind of relationship. Yeah. This orb comes up. He sends his dogs out to chase it. He's got these three blue healers that he loves. And the blue healers go after the orb. They're trailing this thing, and it takes them down over like a little rise yeah. and into a copse of trees. Again, this is a section that you might want to skip, depending on how you feel about it. Yeah, whatever dogs. Scott says, cops of trees. Cops be, of trees. Beware. Yeah. Yeah, he, and I think down. he felt bad because he, he did encourage the dogs, he I think. He encouraged them to go, go after. They're yeah. some of his favorite ranch dogs. He hears them barking and yelping, and he's kind of headed Oof. in that way. Yeah. And then he hears a real pronounced kind of yelp. Three yelps. Yeah. yeah. And then silence. And he's so wigged out at this point. He can't bring himself to go check it out. No, he goes back to the ranch. Yeah, he goes back to the ranch. Yeah. Plus, it's night. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's nighttime. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah. So this is what happens when you mess with these things. And he's not sure what actually happened to the dogs, but he goes out the next day, and he finds three what are described as... Yeah, circular patches of flattened grasses. Yes, yeah. with a burnt, greasy, black... black 
blob. Blob. In the middle of it. Yeah. Which... Never saw the dogs again. No. It would seem that in this case, this orange orb liquidated yeah. his dogs. Incinerated them. Yeah. yeah. What is that? Well, what is happening? What yeah. you know? And this is the kind of thing that's happening all the time. There were other stories. Again, read read the books. There's yeah. a lot of books out there about it. There's other stories of dogs running off and never being seen again. Oh, sure. Well, he he lost his cats as well. I think he had two or three cats. Yeah, but I mean that on a ranch that doesn't mean. Well, anything. I mean, like, <laughs> no. I, well, I will say up where I'm where I'm from, we've had the cat taken by an eagle or an owl. Yeah, all kinds of things uh, are looking for house cats. Yeah, that's pretty common because they're smaller, but. Yeah. Generally, with with dogs like this, you, you'll find them, and they know where the ranch is. Here is the interesting thing about the orbs. The possibility of them incinerating the blue healers. Yeah. Well, how did that happen? That actually ties back to a story that took place in 1977 in Colares, Brazil. Oh, yeah. yeah. About the chupas. Yeah. Now, right. chupa may sound familiar to you because you've certainly heard, most people have, of the chupacabra. <laughs> chupacabra, Which yes. is the goat sucker. Yeah, cabra meaning goat, chupa yeah. meaning sucker. There's chupa sucker. chupes, which are just lollipops. Here, yeah. Here well, I don't LA. know about yeah. that. I didn't know that. I don't know why I oh, said okay. yeah just then. <laughs> <laughs> Probably haven't broken open a pinata in some time. Yeah. No, but the chupas were also named for being suckers, and I'll tell you about this. So in 1977, there's a series of sightings of these crafts in Brazil that the locals called chupas. They're small flying metal boxes, metallic-looking boxes, that supposedly sound kind of like a refrigerator. They are too small to have a person on board them. Yeah, this one's freaky. Yeah. So apparently there are many reports of these attacking the poor locals, and I mean poor, like impoverished locals, around Belém. 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 Para Brazil. And Para Brazil. They would attack them while they were out hunting, and the method of the attack was horrifying. Five people were killed. Oh, jeez. So, so a lot of times it's these hunters out hunting and then they are being hunted by these metal boxes. Oh, yeah. And I got to tell you where, from where we're going from here, this actually reminds me of uh, <laughs> season three, episode 20 of The X-Files, yep. Jose Chung's From Outer Space. <laughs> my favorite episode of the show, probably. Is it? Yeah, Charles it's Nelson Riley. No, I know. It's one of them, yeah. The opening scenes are amazing. Because yes, it, it yeah. starts out with a couple of military guys pretending to be aliens trying to scare some civilians to death. And yeah. in the middle of this, a real alien comes along <laughs> and grabs. And grabs all of them. Grabs everyone. Yeah. yeah. It's so great. I got to tell you, there's a vibe that matches that at this ranch. Well, not, not only that, before I forget, here's a parallel because I I had just recently watched it. We had just discussed it. I hadn't seen it probably since it came out. Yeah. But it's on Netflix. And so I, I searched for it and found it and immediately watched it that night, which is the great thing about on demand, uh, like the great courses, yeah. boom, whenever you want. <laughs> so, uh, but I just watched it. And what I realized how the story is, it parallels the one we're telling now in that the main narrative force, and it's a, you would say it's a gimmick, but it's a, um, a mechanism. It's called the unreliable narrator. You don't know who's telling the truth because it's a singular story of this one incident happening from a different, a lot of different viewpoints that Charles Nelson Riley is trying to nail down to write into a book. It's like Rashomon. Yeah, you, right. It's all yeah. these different, it's like, well, who's telling the Kurosawa. truth? Who's lying? And some things match up and some things come to pass. And what I love about it is, like, like one person describes a uh, Fox Mulder as seeing the dead body and shrieking, ah! yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it's not characteristic of Fox Mulder. Yeah. And then also um, Dana Scully has a very uh, non-characteristic behavior as tough gal. Right. Know? So you, but you hear these people and then some things play out and some things don't. So in connection to this story, yeah, we're hearing a bunch of different stuff. We're not totally sure if all the details are correct. 
But there's so many of them, and they're so varied, and they're so crazy yeah. that you're just going to have to pick your own thread. And this is the thing about the chupas. The way that the method that they attacked these poor people is that they shot this beam of light that was only a few centimeters across, like seven, eight, ten centimeters across, yeah. I guess. And it would hit people, and it would hurt them and burn them really, oh. really bad. Yeah, like a cigarette and, burn, and, I think and, they said. And yeah. it, never, it wasn't like War of the Worlds, or the old one or the <laughs> new one, where it had yeah. to hunt right. for whatever it's trying to aim at, it hit it immediately. It yeah. turned on and it burned them so bad, sometimes they would be scarred for weeks and even months. And some people apparently were killed Ugh. by these small metal boxes shooting these beams of lights randomly yeah. at these folks. And they said it felt like tiny pinpricks or like a cigarette burn. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, Jacques Vallée, I think, said was consistent with microwave energy. Yeah. Some of them felt like it was extracting blood somehow from their bodies. Oh, hence the, hence the term chupa. H- chupa, yeah. right. So they're like the small flying metal boxes that sound like refrigerators shooting people. One guy survived briefly only to be completely insane with terror, which is not too different from what Terry uh, yeah. and Gwen described when they encountered the orb. Right. And he had just total terror, and then he died a few days later. Mm. So Vallee, who we were talking about, again, in the Delphus case, the famous investigator, he apparently documented 35 people that were attacked by chupas during this this wave in 1977. Mm. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because there may be a connection between whatever this weapon is and what happened to those poor blue healers. On yeah. the ranch. But again, there's areas in South America that are hotspots. The Atacama Desert. Yeah. Um, there's places in Peru. There's one that, uh, oh, check out Sean Ryder on UFOs. He was the lead singer of the Happy Mondays. And he had, a, I think he had like a two or three season show on UFOs. And he just goes to visit these places. And he's just kind of, he's very entertaining. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> Northern uh, English uh, attitude and accent. And it's it's a lot of fun. But he does go to the, some of these hotspots where people just, they just camp out. Yeah. The most of what they see, these researchers, are just blips of light exhibiting non-ballistic motion, making 90-degree turns, zigzagging, which, yeah, you may say, like, well, it's a phenomenon, but if it's a craft, none of ours do that. And we actually had a a reader write in. His name was Matthew Holbert, and he lives in the area. He's heard part one of the show already, and I wanted to read a a letter he sent in. Hello, Scott. I just listened to your first installment on Skinwalker Ranch, and I have a tidbit to share. I grew up in Rock Springs, Wyoming, just across the Wyoming-Utah border, and spent a fair amount of time in the Vernal, Roosevelt, Utah area, mostly recreating at the Flaming Gorge, Dutch John area, just at the border. Driving on the highways around there, not just Vernal area, but the whole three-corner spot of Wyoming, Colorado, and Utah. At night, it was common to see round flickering lights toward the horizon. As a kid, I asked my dad what it was once, and he said, a well of some sort, oil or gas. The wells there have chimneys sticking up that burn off gas. Oil wells in that area produce natural gas as well as oil, which is burned off into the atmosphere. They look a hell of a lot like orbs. I only mention this because while looking at Skinwalker Ranch on Google Earth, there is a sizable oil field to the south, southwest, and west of the ranch. To me, this seemed to be a fairly logical spot to start in the explanation of orbs and possibly UFO sightings. While it doesn't explain dire wolves and an uncontrollable and overwhelming sense of impending dread, it may provide a skeptical aside to many other explanations. Uh And I wrote Matthew back and I said, this is exactly the kind of thing I was talking about earlier, where I think things get mixed together. Sure. And sure, can you be on the land and not know that there's a gas well 
two miles away that's burning off natural gas as part of its process. And I think that's entirely, or an oil well, I should say. Yeah. That's entirely possible. But when they're flying up to you and melting your dogs, it's (laughs) a different thing. Right, exactly. It depends on whose story is being told, who saw it, and and what they're describing, and and all the elements of their own story. Right, and and he agreed with that, by the way. I'm not calling him out here. Oh, no, no, no. He was totally open-minded. Yeah, no, because, look, we we believe also not every one of these stories is is a blue death-dealing orb. Yeah. You know, these all aren't the same thing. You're going to get some of that. And and probably a lot of it is just mis... I'd say diagnosed. It's misidentified phenomenon, man-made or natural. And looking at the big picture here, let's recap everything that's happened at the ranch or everything that we think's happened. We think we got this house that's got all these deadbolts because the prior owners were scared to death of something coming in or out of the house or having its way with the house. Well, poltergeist activity, which was ruining a lot of dishes. Yeah, as well as the salt and pepper and the, <laughs> the cabinets. Even even yeah. the, the person who said there was nothing strange going on there with the prior owners admitted that the cabinets had locks on them. Yes, that I he did see I believe he said them. that they were on the inside too, which is weird. I believe he said the only place that he noticed them were on the kitchen cabinets inside. Right. So not the number that had been reported, right. but again... First question, yeah. why do you lock your cabinets up? Are your Ritz bits trying to get away? What's <laughs> well, somebody's getting at them because if that's the case, and it, and it does tie in what the Shermans reported, yeah. that they would have a lot of poltergeist activity where a cabinet would fly open and dishes would fall out. And after a while, you get tired of cleaning that up. So yeah. the practical thing is that you just put that probably sliding latch on there, yeah. and that takes care of it. Right. So we got that. Yeah. We've got... Giant wolves. Yes, reported by a lot of different people. We've got huge black serpents drowning people in a nearby reservoir. Sure, why not? We've got all kinds of local activity. I actually almost forgot this email that we got from another listener, Paul Workman. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he actually, he had sent us an article suggesting that UFOs themselves might be living creatures of some kind, which is actually- That's an interesting idea. Pretty fascinating. And it talks about deep sea life and the relationship between- Oh, USOs? Well, no, it talks about the relationship between like the cuttlefish, which can camouflage ah, itself right. and appear to be. And this is something that's going to come up. Get ready, because in part yeah. three, we're going to talk about the predator camouflage mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is turning up on the ranch. <laughs> that's right. And when I say that, I mean, if you saw that movie, the that's what movie. people are seeing. <laughs> yeah. Some kind of invisible suit. Yeah. So there's more to come on this. But Paul sent in a story from the area. It goes like this. In 2005 or so, a story began to circulate through a small northeastern town located near the ranch. The story begins with a local police officer patrolling the area known as Randallette, a small town that is home to a little over 200 people. On this particular evening, the officer, in his patrol car, approached a bridge when he noticed something a little curious. It was a man walking across the bridge in a dark-colored trench coat. The officer thought this was strange due to the time of night that it was. As the officer got closer, he stopped and opened the door to his vehicle and stepped out. As police officers do, he proceeded to ask the man in the trench coat if he needed any assistance. The man was unresponsive, as if he had not heard the officer's offer. The officer again asked the man if he needed help, and with no vocal response, the man turned and looked at the officer suspiciously. The officer then became increasingly nervous and ordered the man to open his trench coat in order to see if he was concealing a weapon of some sort. When he did, the officer came face to face with something he wasn't prepared for. The upper half of the man's body was human. However, the lower half was that of a goat-like creature with hooves. The officer immediately jumped back in his patrol vehicle and 
and sped out of the area as fast as he could. He made his way to the Bureau of Indian Affairs headquarters, where, in hysterics, he told BIA officers what had just occurred. Not much more was ever said about this particular event after the initial incident, and being as the story has been around for a while, nothing probably ever will. However, with as close as the incident was to Skinwalker Ranch, it's very possible the two may be related. Oh, very well-written email. Yeah, too, so you know. this this story, <laughs> so this is so great. Yeah. This isn't even in print anywhere that we know of, and maybe it is, but thank yeah. you, Paul, for sending it in. We love being able to share the tales that no one else can find. It reminded me of, uh, was it Bathsheba? Being rep- she, as reported, uh, visiting the temple, and uh, and when she stepped over kind of a little stream that ran through the temple, I guess like a maybe a koi pond or something, People noticed she had hooves for feet. That's yeah. just a rumor, but that's you know going back to biblical times. So. Well, you know this, and this was that was two thousand five, by the way. That's like after yeah. everything we've been no, talking that's, about. That's true. This stuff is still happening. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, it's still going on. That's a merging of though of very old, old as time, as old as people. Legend of you know what has primitive man always drawn on the on the cave paintings? Animals. Yeah. We revere animals. It's always been part of our stories. We we love them. We take care of them. We eat them. Occasionally, some a lot of people do. That has always been a running theme. But here, what's amazing, it's still going on today. You, these is. hybrid kind of stories, and that's one aspect of the Skinwalker story, right? That makes it stand out from other things, right? And that comes back to it comes back to the things we were talking about. We were talking about the the two wolves smoking, smoking, a, <laughs> smoking just one of my favorite, just yeah, kicking back, having a butt, kicking yeah. back, yeah. having cigarettes. We talked about the newspaper delivery woman with the thing running along next running to her van, trying to steal her baby. We oh. talked about the highway patrolman. Here's another thing. It's a little disturbing, so uh, cover your children's ears. That part of the power and uh, of the skinwalkers to use potions and, you know, black magic. And one of the most common things, and I believe mostly maybe with the Navajo legend, is that how do you become one? The path is that you first try and commit some very huge taboo within the tribe, like killing a sibling. That'll do it, or killing a parent. So you commit some atrocity that is just abhorrent. To me, that that symbolizes going on the path of evil. You are so selfish in your quest for power and revenge that you're willing to kill somebody. The second is that you generally need a powder that can either be attached to an arrow or the tip of a spear, and it's usually made from ground-up bone, and the best kind is to use the powder ground-up from the bones of an infant. So that's another abhorrent. Is that the corpse powder? Yes, yeah. that's what it is. You said, I didn't know that's how you made it, though. Yeah, well, that's the that's the ingredient is ground up bones. So that's a very old old kind of thing. Isn't, isn't but there um, something in the Grim Fairy Tales? I'll grind yeah, your bones. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll grind your bones to make. Oh, fee fi fum. Exactly. Yeah. So ground bones ground is nothing is nothing new. And of course, as long as there's been people and skeletons, uh, somebody's ground them up for some for some purpose. But the skinwalker can blow it over a sleeping family, and it will cause them illness or uh, bad misfortune or death. So, but anyway, yes, the ground up bones of an infant, especially because what's what's the most horrible aspect of that? You, yeah. you go for the most horrible. That's yeah. what sets you on the path of becoming a skinwalker. And if you are discovered, though, the skinwalker can be killed. But you have to find out their identity. I think if you find their identity and uh, you make contact somehow to them face to face and you call them out, you know their name, power and a name, then they are vulnerable and can be killed. Otherwise, nearly impossible, as Terry found out with his hunting rifle. All right, so that's pretty much going to wrap it up for part two. If you think that we've covered the bulk of this story, 
the last chapter, the chapter that's still playing out today, is really only just beginning. It's kind of almost impossible to convey, but Forrest, do you remember the movies Contact and Prometheus? Oh, absolutely. What did those two movies have in common? It's a dramatic element that I wish existed in real life. Somebody that could help. Yeah. But maybe you didn't know if they were being helpful or not. In Contact, it was the character S.R. Haddon, played by John Hurt. And in Prometheus, it was Peter Wyland. Right. In Contact, he built, because he had so much money, he yeah. built the backup unit for the travel. Yeah. He delivers that great line of Jodie Foster. You want to go for a ride? Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> which means that's, again, that's somebody helping out because he can see where this is going. But he's such a powerful entity. He can make things happen. In fact, he can hang out on the Russian space station if he wants. Yes. And in Prometheus, it's a character who wants to meet his maker. And has the money and wherewithal to do that. Right. So what does this story have in common with that? <laughs> I don't know. Is it a benefactor of sorts? It is a secretive billionaire who lives in Las <laughs> Vegas, Yeah, much like Howard Hughes did. Boy, this is more sounding like a Bond movie now. Uh, yes. Diamonds are forever. Who is the current owner of Skinwalker Ranch. Yes. And not only that, the owner of a company known as Bigelow Aerospace, yeah. which is obsessed with space travel. And something that Robert Bigelow says he's been focused on since he was a child. This is a man who appears in public frequently with an armed guard. <laughs> okay, get still Bond film. Yeah. This is a man who was rumored to be interested in Skinwalker Ranch so he could capture alien technology and reverse engineer it to the benefit of his space travel plans. Well, that's exactly what I do with my billionaire fortune. This is a man who made his billions. <laughs> yeah. Off a chain of cheap hotels. <laughs> hey, now, let's say affordable. <laughs> budget suites of America. This is a man whose company sent a $20 million inflatable habitat module to the International Space Station in April of this year for a two-year test. Yeah, he's the real deal. This is the current owner of Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> That's going to wrap it up for part two of Skinwalker Ranch. We'll be back in one week with our final part of the Skinwalker series. We'd like to thank our sponsors, The Great Courses Plus, Stamps.com, and Harry's. You can now find easy links to all of their offers at astonishinglegends.com slash sponsors. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees, and the theme is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The Ark and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com, as well as Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night. Good night.